Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special Super Virtual Legality, where honestly, I've gotten so many messages over the past few days. I've gotten so many DMs, even emails from folks that just have so many questions on what it is the CMA is doing, what it is Microsoft is doing, whether there's real risk to the Microsoft Activision transaction. And I said to myself, you know, I had put up a few tweets. I'd put up a few comments that said, the CMA, we talked about this. There's a video on our channel called, I think, uh, London's Calling Microsoft Out or something like that. Uh, and we went over the preliminary findings of the Competition of Markets Authority from the United Kingdom in that particular video. And honest to God, I thought, you know what? We've covered 98% of what the CMA is going to say. And I kept getting messages about it. Rick, there's more in here. There's more in here. There's more in here. And there, and there indeed is. Uh, and then Microsoft has taken the rather unusual tact of fighting a pending regulatory action where, remember, all of the balls are in the CMA's court. They get to decide the fate of Microsoft and Activision on this with a little help from their friends in the UK government, which we will talk about as part of this video. And that's why you see me saying it was a very dangerous road that Microsoft had chosen because the CMA and mostly any regulator in any jurisdiction is going to have near total authority to make your life a living hell. They might not win at the end of the day. The competition tribunal might come in and say, no, no, don't do that. Or God forbid, it gets even appealed to the high court or whatever might happen from there. But you don't want to be made your life a living hell out of. And so Microsoft appears to be presenting to the world right now that they think the CMA is going to be trouble. Just in terms of presentation, we're speculating. I will try to mention when we are speculating in this environment. I'm going to let people trickle in because it's such a big episode. We are going to read through 100 pages of materials here today, folks. So this is going to be a little bit different for the normal virtual legality. I think you're used to a little bit of a cadence from me, uh, a pretty rapid momentum in what I'm saying and, and how we're going through things. Uh, just in the interest of keeping my voice and making sure that we can get through all of the material that we've got planned, I think I have 23 tabs uh, right now set up. It's going to be a little bit slower. It's going to be a little bit more chill. I'm going to be referring to the chat a little bit more often. That's why we're doing it live. You can see a pinned comment that I have put in the chat that says, hey, look, this is supposed to be interactive. I got so, so many questions. That's why we're doing this. So if you've got a question, label it at Hoglaw, write in all caps question, or yes, absolutely super chat, because honestly, we need it. <laughs> uh, this channel can't live without support from viewers uh, and subscribers like you. Uh, I've got all these tabs up, but one thing I do want to say is this is a special episode. This is a special one. We're going to be sitting down together for hopefully a long time. This will probably be one that I point people to when they ask me questions on Twitter or other social media platforms and will definitely go ultimately in the Microsoft Times Activision playlist. But before it does, I want to point out that we can't do it without viewers and listeners like you. And I hope ultimately to make this a podcast. It kind of depends on how long it runs. Please do, if you like this stuff, I know we haven't even said anything yet, check out the Utreon, check out the Patreon, do the subscription stuff, check out the store. I'm going to run this a little bit like a fundraiser or a subscriber drive or a Patreon drive or whatever you want to call it, uh, because that kind of stuff is so important. And ultimately, it's so important to YouTube. So if you are here, if you're ready to talk Microsoft, you're ready to talk CMA, you're ready to hang out with me for however many hours it takes, please do leave a like at the front end. If you forget about it, please do it as you're exiting. Uh, and we're going to have a great 
time discussing these things. I already see there are a couple of super chats and I think I saw a question. So we're just going to try to demonstrate how this is going to go in a perfect world. Uh, one, we're going to try to take it slow. We're going to run a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, and we're going to try to answer these things as they pop up. So Abdel114 says, question, can Microsoft buy out of the clause that prevents Call of Duty entries coming to Game Pass when acquisition is done? So this is one of those questions I have seen on Twitter. There's apparently a reference in the Microsoft response document that says because Sony has a marketing deal for Call of Duty, that marketing deal includes a clause that says you can't put Call of Duty on Game Pass. We saw a very similar conceptual clause when we were looking at the leaked document for the marketing of Resident Evil Village. Uh, and this makes a lot of sense, right? I know it's easy, and I'm sure there'll be comments either direction coming out of this video that say I'm an Xbox or a Sony pony, depending on which minutes that they watch or any other names under the sun. But if we think about it from a strictly business perspective, you're going to spend potentially millions of dollars in a marketing deal with a third-party creator of video games. And what you don't want to have happen is that you're spending that money to drive people to your hardware, to get people to purchase it on your hardware, and ultimately to bring new people into the decision to purchase your hardware. What you don't want is that same game being available for quote unquote free, no additional charge on your competitor's leading service. Uh, and that would be the same either way. I, I would be willing to bet that if uh, Xbox had a marketing deal with a third party platform, they would say, hey, you can't do certain things with Sony. And that may or may not include PlayStation Plus. I really have no idea how Microsoft feels about their PlayStation Plus service. But it makes sense from a business competition perspective to say, no, you don't get this money and then you get to cut the legs out under us from what that money should be buying, which is essentially exposure. Now, you don't have to like exclusives. I don't like exclusives, right? As I've said before in this space, I have all the plastic boxes under my TV, so it doesn't really matter to me uh, who's excluding who, but you're spending money that could be maybe better used on developing video games or whatnot. Uh, but the question being, could Microsoft buy them out? It's entirely dependent on what's in the contract. Um, so there might be a contract term that says if you want to exit this exclusivity provision, uh, then this is what it costs. This is what you have to do. These kinds of things could potentially happen. But in all likelihood, that doesn't exist uh, for something like this. You wouldn't necessarily negotiate for a buyout like that. And at that point, if you're Microsoft, you have a couple of decisions. You could just breach the contract, right? We call this efficient breach if you're looking at things and saying, well, it's probably less expensive for me to just pay out whatever the damages would be to just get whatever value out of the contract I want. And, and Microsoft could take it, could take all the assets of Activision and say, we're breaching this, um, sue us, or here's a settlement payment or whatnot. Phil Spencer, Satya Nadella, Microsoft in general have gone out and said, we're not breaching our agreements. We're not going to do that. Uh, and so they will take on this contract and all the obligations that it has, including not putting it on Game Pass. Uh, which is, you know, ironic because they're the ones that run Game Pass at the end of the day. Uh, but chances are, whatever this provision looks like, it's going to survive the deal uh, if it closes as we would anticipate. So yes, they could breach. Probably there's no buyout provision. The contract terms are entirely controlled by the language within the contract. Uh, and they have said to the world they're not going to breach. So it's probably too much political capital to breach at this point. Although, as some people on social media have pointed out, with the way Sony has acted, somewhat with the way the CMA has acted, uh, Microsoft may just be getting agitated. And if they do ever control the assets at Activision, they might be a little bit wild with them. Uh, I can't promise that, generally speaking, because you would have squeezed through the regulation process here. If you do get the deal closed, you're not going to upend the apple cart at that point in time. Uh, but I do think that you can sense a certain amount of frustration from Microsoft. So thank you for the question. That's how it's done. Capital letters question. And also, 
super chats, which I very, very much appreciate for keeping this channel running. Drawn TJ with the $5 super chat. Thank you so much. If the CMA blocks the deal, can it still go through? This is a complicated answer, right? You've heard me talk about this in this space. Um, And we're going to be talking about Facebook slash Meta and Giphy uh, as part of the prelude to discussing any of these documents. Like I said, I have 100 tabs, whatever. Um, The answer is each of these regulators only control their jurisdictions, right? The world of today consists of nations, nation states, and the particular sovereign powers in those nations control what happens within their borders. So what the UK regulators control is sales and interactions to UK citizens, to the people in the UK. Uh, Now, the regulator can go and ask for basically anything it wants, right? It has a statute that is giving it authority of some kind, basically when we're talking about the US and the the UK, and we'll look at the statute here uh, in just a minute, they are charged with saying, hey, that merger hurts competition, we can do something about it. And in the UK, they get very strong language that says we can do whatever we want about it if we find this particular issue that it's substantially less than competition. And as we'll also see with respect to the Facebook Giphy deal, uh, the competition tribunal, although it is a litigatory process, which I'll talk about in just a second, is very deferential to the CMA. Um, and we'll look at the standards that the actual competition tribunal use there. So the answer is, let's say it gets through all that. The CMA can say you're not allowed to purchase this. Or in the case of the Giphy stuff, you have to unwind it. You have to sell it uh, to somebody else. The UK can absolutely say that. At that point in time, Microsoft's options are to try to go through a judicial process, uh, which strikes me as largely an unsuccessful pathway in the UK, just based on my preliminary research. Again, with the caveat, I'm an American lawyer. I know the FTC and the DOJ and the Sherman Antitrust Act and the Clayton Act much better than I know the stuff that we'll be talking about from the British standpoint. Uh, But we'll be able to evaluate their commentary on the markets at question and and what Microsoft's response is uh, to that, which are fact-based, right? So the CMA is going to potentially say, don't don't buy this company. And then Microsoft can say, all right, we won't buy it. Or we are going to, in some important way, give up sales and connectivity and nexus, right, might be the legal term, for interacting with the United Kingdom as a sovereign nation state. Uh, now, Microsoft has a lot more going on in its company than just selling video games. Uh, it has enterprise. It has cloud. It has all this other stuff going on at the company. And so my gut reaction is that they would not want to close this deal without the UK. Um, And I think that's borne out in the SEC filings they made for the proxy statements of the deal and things like that. So I would not anticipate they would be willing to just walk away from the UK jurisdiction, which means you hope if you're Microsoft, the CMA doesn't try to push all the way to it is just a straight block. You cannot buy this asset like is what's happening with Giphy. You would hope that you can convince them that concessions would be enough. We promise to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation for 10 years. We promise to not raise the Game Pass price for five years. Whatever it looks like, we don't know what the CMA would ask for. But the answer is, can the CMA block the deal? Not technically, not legally. They can say, this isn't allowed. And then Microsoft could decide to sell into the market for penalties and all sorts of legal problems. They could exit the market entirely. They could look for a judicial avenue of appeal But chances are, if the CMA comes down hard on this and it survives that competition tribunal litigatory process, Microsoft's got some issues. And it's one of the reasons why I'm having this conversation with you all is because in January of this year, one of the things I said was, in traditional antitrust views, this is not a deal that really 
rings an alarm bell uh, for me or for other lawyers. Gaming is very competitive. There's a lot of entrants in that marketplace. It's very dynamic. There are a lot of entrants moving in and out of that marketplace. Microsoft is not the market leader. They won't be the market leader in all of games with Activision uh, under their wing. And so in looking at this, the historical interpretation of antitrust would suggest this, this really shouldn't be a problem. And that's why you see me continuing to say, I think it's about a 70-30 chance. Now, I'll probably lower that as we go through the CMA uh, into the 60s or, some, or something like that. And we'll talk about why. We'll talk about why I can tell you I think it's probably... Uh, an okay deal and the law doesn't cover what we're what we're discussing with Microsoft and Activision and why that to some extent doesn't matter uh, because these other people across an ocean or sitting in Washington DC or elsewhere have near total authority to determine this on their own and if they use a different antitrust theory well in the US the courts are going to take a look at it in the UK it might be more deferential uh, and that might be its own problem so can they block it I'm sorry I'm a lawyer the answer is they can try uh, and then the balls in Microsoft's court uh, thank you so much for the question. Question, we'll get to documents at some point. We might be here for 12 hours, folks. Who knows? I think 12 is the limit on a stream on YouTube. I'm hoping not to do that because I have to eat something today. Uh, but we'll have some fun until we get there. Jarrett asks, assuming the deal does go through, could Xbox throw together some kind of Call of Duty collection and release that on Game Pass as a new game, like Remake Re Remaster Collection? Now, unfortunately, I can't answer this question. So um, as you've seen here in this space, contracts have their own definitions and they have their own legalese and there can be good lawyering and bad lawyering. So we would need to look at exactly what the marketing contract says, exactly how it's defined. Now I will tell you, my gut reaction is no. Generally a good lawyer would say any derivatives of the product in question um, can't be put on that. Does it cover the whole brand forever and ever? I don't know. Uh, but chances are it's covered to Sony's satisfaction for however much money they're spending on the product. Super virtual legality, says David. Yes, absolutely. I would say it was Turbo or some other reference to video gaming, except I doubt very much that this is going to be Turbo. It's just a question. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm having fun. I'm happy to be here chatting with you all about a lot of cool and important things on a deal that just won't stop throwing off news items. Eagles fan 76, the Microsoft Activision deal is the gift that keeps giving on Hoke. Well, I tell you what, I really was going to skip this section of documents because I really didn't think people were interested in this particular public fight. And I will fully admit, I am a human being and I was wrong. I kept getting asked on this stuff and I was looking at it and I was saying, well, there's no real way to shorten this conversation into something that's bite-sized. Um, and so what can we do? We can just sit together like you were in my living room or in my office and we'll just go through it. We will go through it together and hopefully everybody has fun with that. If you wind up getting off the stream and coming back to the replay crew, the, the archive mode, that is totally okay as well. We're just going to keep going until we get through everything we possibly can. Question, can Microsoft buy out the clause? We got that one. Yes. Fantastic. We're moving along. Uh, and I think we might be ready to go into documents. I do want to warn people. I'm going to do my best to capture these things as we're in the document mode. Uh, but I, uh, I don't have a team here. Uh, it's just me trying to capture this stuff. So if you do have to flag me or say, hey, Rick, there's a super chat I gave up above. Please, please don't feel like I will be offended if you do so. Uh, we are all in this together. Uh, Adam Zero, hello, Sir Rick. I know this is not a financial advice legally, but I have an amount to invest. Should I put some money on Activision stock? I can't give you that. I can't answer that question. I appreciate the super chat. Um, what I would say is that you should evaluate 
what you think the chances are of, of the deal and what the price that it's being offered to you. And also consult with your direct financial advisors on this stuff if you have one, um, because they're going to be able to talk to you about it as well. Uh, Tristan Brown, do you think Microsoft's relationship with Sony changes once this deal concludes? Bridges may have been burned. I think this is an unhealthy atmosphere for the video game community and ecosystem as between Xbox and Sony. Um, I think that they are fighting and I suspect they will be fighting more openly as we head into the end of the year. Uh, and as a guy that just loves games and loves my PlayStation and loves my Xbox and loves my Switch, I don't I don't like this. I don't think it's very fruitful uh, to see them uh, fighting in this particular manner. And I, I do think the people that come out and say, Sony's arguments are a bit specious. They're a bit hollow when they made their money doing exclusives for two decades. Uh, I, I don't think they're wrong. Um, and so what I will say on this, I'm a corporate lawyer, right? I'm a business guy by trade. I've been doing it for almost 20 years. Generally speaking, if there's money to be made, if there's a pie to grow, if there's advantage to being kumbaya or otherwise working with your competitor in some fashion that's legal, uh, that will out. That will find a way. Money finds a way in the world of business. So while I do think, in all probability, there are actually emotions being triggered at both of these companies at this point in time, once the dust has settled, I generally think you'll get back to, to normal business. But who knows? Grudges can be held even in the world of corporations. It's not limited just to people. Ryan McLeod, why doesn't Microsoft highlight the tons of uh, dormant Sony shooter IPs they could compete with Call of Duty, Killzone, SOCOM, Resistance for me. Sony's got complacent with their Call of Duty revenue. Maybe, uh, maybe. Well, we Look, I have skimmed through the Microsoft document. One of the reasons we're doing it this way, live, super virtual reality style, is that I will be reacting to these things and your questions and the super chats in real time. We are just going to have a conversation. It's going to be a first look type video. Uh, and so I don't know exactly what Microsoft has said in that document other than the things that have been flagged for me with like pictures on Twitter. Uh, so we'll definitely be talking about that. I think it's an argument you could make. Look, you've got all this IP ready to go. Uh, certainly Sony could respond by saying, yeah, resistance isn't Call of Duty, uh, which isn't wrong, which isn't wrong. Uh, question. So we need it in all caps because I'm going to miss these, especially when we're on the fly. Would they be able to make some stipulation that the deal can go through, but content from Activision is blocked from Game Pass at least day and date? Or must be put on PlayStation Plus. So whenever you start to get into the stip a stipulation that would involve Sony's accession, that they would have to agree to something, you've got problems. Because Sony's not in front of these various tribunals or regulatory bodies. Uh, but yes, in general, if it satisfies the CMA or the FTC or the EC or whoever, then it satisfies them. If they, if they want to agree to that, that's what Microsoft will be doing behind the scenes. If the FTC says we might block this, but we'd like these concessions, Microsoft is going to try to synthesize those across jurisdictions. And yeah, it could absolutely be, uh, well, okay, Activision can't go on Game Pass for five years, uh, regardless of what the contract says. Uh, wh whatever uh, the CMA or the FTC might think is justified and what Microsoft is willing to live with. That's the real politic here. Um, and so, yeah, they can ask for whatever they want. Dad Hog, Papa Hog, wow. Hog Law, anytime. Thumbs up. Don't have to super chat with me, Dad. You can just come say hi. Uh, but I love you very, uh, very much. Thank you for the super chat and the support. Everborn Saga, Microsoft really is making some strong insinuations in their response. They are basically saying to the CMA that the CMA is incompetent or worse. We saw that from their kind of summary stuff. There has to be a strategy here. I just don't see it. You know, the, the presentation, as I said, is suggestive of a Microsoft that thinks that the CMA might already be gone. 
uh, right, that they are trying to control the messaging to the other regulatory bodies. And uh, they view the CMA as a full-on em- enemy participant at this point in time uh, is the best way that I can make logical sense out of it. Because just going and having a bear that can eat you at any time that it wants and poking it repeatedly is an odd move. Of course, if you're Microsoft and you have you know a couple trillion dollars in market capitalization, you might be operating a little bit differently than Hogue Law. Uh, Gold Shill, could Microsoft sway the CMA phase two better than phase one? They certainly hope so. It's a different group of people. It's got a little bit more expert uh, folks that are supposed to be looking at this. They are also arguing their point with the re- reactions that they make to uh, that the phase two people. Uh, but um, that's that's just a hope, uh, as we'll see in a minute. Uh, certainly Meta and Giphy thought that they could do that with the phase two and with the CMA in general, and they failed to do so. Uh, Buck, frustrated with your analysis sometimes. Happy to have you here. I appreciate the super chat, uh, as I see a lot of Sony hypocrisy, but we need you on this, Hogue. Uh, okay, uh, well, that's fair. Uh, I will tell you, I am fans of both products. I am not always fans of both corporations. Uh, I think these companies are, are led by humans, and they can all make mistakes, and they do quite often. Uh, so that is certainly that uh, it's an acceptable criticism. I think certainly if I see uh, Sony making complaints and I don't immediately dismiss them or vice versa, that could get frustrating. And as I say here, reasonable minds can differ. That's always going to be okay. Everborn Saga, if Sony can get this deal blocked, what does that do to their relationship with Activision? They want this deal plus their stock would tank if it fails. Uh, yeah, their stock is already kind of, uh, we're getting a little bit weak on that from the CMA side, especially. I don't know. Like I said, um, money generally outs. So if Sony continues to have the platform leader, if Activision can make money putting products on their service, they might grit their teeth and secretly call them names when they get off the conference call explaining their marketing, uh, but they will go and get that money. That's the fiduciary responsibility of management and officers in a corporation. Ralden Blade, can you see Microsoft money hatting most of the industry doing a Sony to a Sony big bank, take little bank, if this deal just gets shut down and they just suddenly have $70 billion in cash, I could see them just signing every exclusive that they possibly can away from Sony and doing it that way. Um, certainly that kind of deal making, those kinds of contractual stipulations are not looked upon as strongly as a full on merger where we've we've seen in this space and in others that you actually have um, specific statutes that cover talking about mergers. Um, and so, yeah, Microsoft, if they're willing to open their pocketbook, has a lot of uh, muscle it can throw around should they decide to do so. Uh, Question, do you think it could escalate to the point of Microsoft retiring Windows and Office from the United Kingdom? No. I'm just going to be frank on this. $70 billion is a lot of money. It's not necessarily a driving force behind a multiple trillion dollar company. Uh, And so Microsoft's bread is not yet, at least completely, buttered by video gaming. And so they would be very reluctant to just step out of the jurisdiction. Now, if they felt that there was some weakness at the regulatory level in the UK or the government level, and that they could pressure them with a kind of short-term strike of some important Microsoft products or services, it's possible, but you're really talking about a kind of nuclear war on the UK, at least from the enterprise software side of things. So I don't see it happening. It's not for Activision Blizzard and Call of Duty. Michael Mooney asks, could Microsoft try to force Sony to buy Call of Duty for an amount that Sony can't spend as a solution to Sony's demands. 
maybe. I mean, the, the hypothetical here is that the CMA says you can have Activision, but you have to spin off Call of Duty. And then Microsoft says, fine, we'll sell Call of Duty for $14 billion, um, out of that $70 billion that we would have already spent. Uh, and Sony doesn't really have that in its cash reserves or ability to go and get it. Um, and so, yeah, they, they, they wouldn't be able to do that. Now, I think you would see through that, at least, again, we're imagining the situation where the CMA has some kind of justifiable reason to even do this. Uh, and so I don't necessarily see that happening because there just isn't a player there. Now, if they just have to put it up on an open market and say Tencent buys it or Embracer Group buys it or Epic Games buys it or something along those lines, I don't know that we've made the video game world a better place, uh, but it's possible it could happen that way. I don't see it, but it's a good question. Question, is golf going to be good for 400 through the sky and six touchdowns this weekend? <laughs> I'll take some of what you're having, Gaston. Uh, he is, of course, referring to the Detroit Lions quarterback, uh, and we have not had a lot of success in Lions fandom. So I'm glad you have that sense of optimism. I don't see that one happening. Ralden, I see the end of a relationship with Sony and Activision. Short term, maybe medium term, gets a little bit wishy-washy. Long term, no. If, there, if there's money to be made, they will find a way to make it. I promise. Uh, Outbreak asks, can I interview on Outbreak Gamers so more people can find your amazing channel? Fire emojis. Um, we'll see. I'm really, really busy. We just If you were on my Twitter, you just saw I am I'm uh, just started writing for The Escapist. So we just put an article up on that this morning. Uh, I'm obviously doing a lot of videos. We've got whatever this is, number six for this week already, I think, maybe. Um, so I appreciate it. DM me. Uh, maybe we can work something out. Ralden with another question, never mess with rich people with money, with $70 billion of cash on hand. Well, I mean, you don't want to just yield to super rich corporations, but it's certainly something that you have to take into account. All right, we're caught up, which means we can hit some of the stuff I want to hit uh, with this documentation. So let's see if we can hit those buttons. Um, first and foremost, I did see this covered a little bit. So this was one of my responses. Tom Warren of The Verge, great reporter. Uh, check out his stuff. Um, said and, and linked to the version of the Microsoft response to the CMA's findings that we'll be using today. Um, and I said, hey, look, folks are tagging me. I was getting just a lot of tags on this stuff. Uh, and I said, it's a more technical version of the MS responses we had looked at before, so I'm not sure I'll do another video. <laughs> Joke's on me. But one thing to take away is that it's pretty clear that Microsoft thinks it may need to prep for litigation. And a number of folks sent me like DMs and things and said, well, I don't understand how the UK works. It's not litigation. There's no litigatory avenue, and et cetera, et cetera. I want to clarify this just a little bit. And we can talk about it with the way the US sees things, right? I'm an American lawyer. And the way this functions is that if you've got a problem with the CMA, you go and you ask for their competition tribunal to look at it. Now, tribunal is not a word we use very often in American law, but I can tell you that it gets reported on here in a way I think is pretty accurate, which is as a UK court uh, here in the summer, uh, when that tribunal decided that the CMA was allowed to block the Facebook Giphy deal, here's Bloomberg Law very prominent source. UK court agrees that CMA can squash Benedict merger. And what are they referring to there? That's the competition appeal tribunal. So this is a litigatory process. And you can look at various aspects of the UK statutes. You can see the tribunal consists of, among other things, judges as nominated by the Chief Justice of England, judges as nominated from the Lord President of the Court in Session, judges from the Lord Chief Justice of Northern Ireland, other members. Uh, and while that doesn't mean that everybody is a judicial member, it does wind up 
with documents that look very much like this, right? This, this looks pretty litigatory to me. This is the process of going to the tribunal, applicant, respondent, interveners. And if we actually look at the, at the Giphy deal, we can see one thing that's going to be really important to our conversation with Microsoft. And that is that the standard of review here is very low. Now, if you haven't been to law school, you might not be familiar with the phrase standard of review. I do not blame you. But it basically means at what level of scrutiny are we going to look at this deal while we are acting as a court? However you want to frame the tribunal, if you're not comfortable calling it a litigation process, that's fine. I'm not going to tell you, especially if you live in the UK, what to think about your tribunals. But it certainly looks like litigation to me. And that's what I was referring to when I was commenting on Tom Warren's post. And here's what the tribunal says in respect of Facebook and Giphy. And we'll take a look at more of the substance of this in just a second. A broad discretion is conferred on the CMA in crafting remedies in relation to completed mergers. Subsection two applies where a report of the CMA has been prepared and published, and the CMA shall take such action under the various sections to remedy, mitigate, or prevent the substantial lessening of competition concerned, and to remedy, mitigate, or prevent any adverse effects which have resulted from or may be expected to result from the substantial lessening of competition. The CMA can take whatever it wants. For purposes of this ground, we proceed on the basis that the decisions regarding the vertical and horizontal combinations are unimpeachable and that the remediation ordered is in relation to both. We also note, and this was not disputed by Meta, that Section 41 confers a wide discretion on the CMA. And this went so far as for the tribunal to mandate, among other things, that Facebook not only has to sell Giphy, they have to capitalize it with $75 million. Not only do they spend $400 million buying it, they don't get to keep it. They have to sell it for whatever they can get fair market value. They have to put $75 million more into it. And the tribunal says, well, that's rational, right? If you actually go and you look at the summary of how the tribunal looks at these things from the CMA's perspective on the UK level, you see this word rationally. You see this word not irrational. So Meta and Facebook went and said, the CMA can't decide these things. This was based on a concept called dynamic competition that the CMA was basically using to say, well, it might not hurt this specific market in this specific way, but it'll curtail this other market in this way. And we're kind of hypothesizing certain things. And the tribunal basically said, ah, it's not irrational. The CMA correctly directed itself to the test it had to apply. And the decision made by the CMA is one that it is entitled to make. The CMA acted rationally in order to put itself in a position to apply the substantially lessening of competition test. The CMA's conclusion is the counterfactual are unassailable. The CMA has broad and wide discretion in crafting remedies in relation to com uh, completed mergers and the remedies ordered by the CMA were not irrational. That's legalese, folks, for not absolutely insane. And if the standard that the Competition Appeal Tribunal is going to use on the CMA's evaluation of any deal, but including the one that we're all talking about here today, and the standard is was not completely crazy, it's very unlikely that the tribunal would overturn substantively what the CMA finds in this case, which is one of the reasons why as you look at these things operating in conjunction and you get a headline like Facebook owner Meta has to sell Giphy after UK watchdog confirms ruling, you are quaking in your boots a little bit and you are coming out swinging. Microsoft has elected aggression. If you're on Twitter, they've chosen violence this morning. Uh, and that's part and parcel to we're going to come after them hard. Would I Do I agree with that strategy? I don't know what they're looking at behind the scenes, but they have certainly gone out 
with a very, very, very aggressive strategy to try to justify uh, their deal. And before we get, start talking a little bit about what happened with Facebook and Giphy and comparing, comparing it to what's happening with Microsoft and Activision, uh, let's hit a few more of your questions. Uh, do you think the CMA got a conflict of interest with Sony, the reason why they're trying to scrutinize Microsoft and Activision when it comes to stock trading and such? No, I, I don't think we have any reason to believe. I know people on Twitter and social media like to claim that it's corrupt or it's otherwise uh, subordinated to Sony in some fashion. I don't think we have any reason uh, to, to believe that right now. We certainly don't have any factual basis. Who knows what will come out uh, in the future? Uh, but I think that's that's a bridge too far. It's a little bit too far of a assumption for where we are right now uh, and what we know. Raiden Blade, sorry, Hoga. I mean, don't mess with rich people and their money, i.e. Activision shareholders looking forward to that cash buyout of $70 billion. I get it. Yeah, Activision and shareholders really want to get that sale done, especially as the market in general collapses and the economy is in tatters. It's 2022, folks. What are you going to do? Um, and so, yeah, they've got a locked-in deal price from January this year, which is starting to look more and more good as tech companies take baths and things like that. They want to get this deal done. And Microsoft wants to get this deal done as well. They're at least defending the billions of dollars in penalties that would happen if a regulator stops them that they would have to pay to Activision in any event. Um, so, so that's also happening behind the scenes. Um, what else we have here? We've got uh, the never mess with rich people, conflict of interest, and rich people and their money. So I think we're covered on that. So let's talk about this Giphy deal for just a minute. And I promise you, we're going to get to those actual documents from the CMA and Microsoft. We just have a little housekeeping to do uh, before that happens. This deal is important. This only happened. I know this says this article is 10 months old because this is when the CMA originally acted against it. But this only happened realistically in the last week um, and is one of the things that Microsoft is reacting to. So I think it's necessary as a part of the story. We're going to try to tell as we look through all this. So UK Competition Watchdog orders Facebook on to sell GIF website Giphy. Uh, and what is happening there is the biggest item is advertising services. The regulator said Meta could cut off the supply of gifts to rivals or demand more user data from them in order to keep using Giphy. The CMA said that a takeover would also remove a potential competitor from the 7 billion pound UK display advertising market, where Facebook is the biggest player accounting for about half the market. And I highlighted that because the best differentiator of this particular deal, Giphy and Meta, from what we're talking about with respect to Microsoft and Activision, is finding a market where Microsoft would become something like the biggest player accounting for about half that market. Now, at the time, Facebook and Meta disagreed. We disagree with the decision. We are reviewing the decision and considering all options, including appeal. Both consumers and Giphy are better off with the support of our infrastructure, talent, and resources. Together, Meta and Giphy would enhance Giphy's product for the millions of people, businesses, developers, and partners in the UK and around the world who use Giphy every day, providing more choices for everyone. Does that sound like any messaging that we've heard in the past? Similarly, they also said, the UK regulator is engaging in extraterritorial overreach, following up with... Blocking the deal to buy Giphy, which is based in New York and does not have operations in the UK at all, would send a chilling message to startup entrepreneurs. Do not build new companies because you will not be able to sell them. And I highlighted that section because it is very reminiscent of some of the responses, including my own, uh, that we have seen on the American side of things from the FTC and their decision to block Facebook's purchase of the VR gymnasium application within where they have gone so far as to basically say Facebook, even though they don't have any presence in that market or they try to make it out of Beat Saber, 
that they should be foreclosed from buying a company that would do that because they would have otherwise had to enter in with their own resources and that would be better for everyone. It is a very novel theory of antitrust liability that says, well, if you're big enough that you could start your own company, then you should be forced to do so instead of buying another company. And as I also said in that within video, one of the real problematic things for that from kind of the, the corporation's perspective, the entrepreneur's perspective is that business models exist that say, we're going to figure this out. Uh, we're not going to be able to get commercially viable with the amount of money that we can raise, but we can make it attractive and we can get bought. And if that starts to go by the wayside, if, for instance, Facebook has to sell Giphy and Giphy, which was not revenue positive, has to go and just dies, is the world a better place? And that's what regulators are going to have to figure out on this. And I can't substitute my judgment for theirs on these particular questions, but I think there are questions uh, and certainly the CMA continues to raise them, especially when they are showing that they are accepting certain arguments that, uh, well, people might have an issue with. This got confirmed uh, in the past couple of days. Meta appealed the decision, which the regulator said would protect millions of social media users and stop Facebook increasing its significant power in social media, which was upheld by the Competition Appeal Tribunal on five of the six grounds challenged. That's where we see this summary, where we see that they're only testing rationality. And so that's the state of things as it exists today. Now, I also want to comment on some of the things that I have said in the past uh, and we'll say almost undoubtedly as part of our review of these documents as we go forward. I believe the deal should go through. I'm, I'm editorializing now. As a lawyer looking at antitrust laws in general, I think that the markets that are affected here, console sales, game development, game publishing, potentially data collection, online advertising, the things that we saw Brazil and their Cade Authority look at. I think that Microsoft will not maintain uh, the market power necessary to substantially lessen competition after that deal is done. Now, I also said in January that a motivated regulator could decide that if they want to stop this deal or if they want to seek concessions, they could try to split the market differently uh, because this all comes down to market power and the market definition is flexible. And so the CMA could and has now signaled that they will look at the subscription service market and the cloud gaming market as separate. And there... Microsoft clearly has a more dominant position than in the gaming market on the whole. And you start to make a math equation where that denominator is small enough that Microsoft's presence is big enough where you can say, well, if we combine these two parties, we might have a problem. That is not fence sitting. <laughs> that is explaining the actual situation at hand. Or as I say a little bit later on in this thread, oh boy. So here's the thing. Antitrust laws, all laws to some extent, they're, they're going to be determined. They're going to be affected. They're going to be executed by administrators, regulators, judges, justices, tribunal members, whatever it might be. And so if you're sitting in the office of a lawyer, somebody explains their situation to you. I can tell you what I think the law says. I can tell you what the precedent shows. I can tell you what I think your chances of success are if you were to litigate something or to otherwise go through that process. What I can't do, what I can never do is promise you what another human being will decide. And as we've seen with the competition tribunal, and as we've seen in this particular method, I can say, look, I've looked at the substantially lessening of competition argument. I think the deal should go through. I think in large part, what the CMA is trying to do is butt its face in there by using very specific market definitions that I don't know hold water, but I can't tell you they'll lose. And I can't tell you they won't proceed with it on phase two. And I can't tell you the tribunal will overturn them, especially on a rational basis test. And so 
that is the lawyerly answer is, hey, I think you should get through. I think it should work, but I can't promise you that. And when people come into Twitter or otherwise and say, well, Microsoft's got really smart lawyers. They know what they're doing. Of course they know what they're doing. They're expensive lawyers as well. They can't make those promises either. They could be sitting outside Phil's uh, office. They could be sitting outside Satya Nadella's office and saying, look, I think it's 80-20 in January. And now I think it's 60-40 because they were rattling sabers. We didn't know exactly how far they would go with it. And the FTC has sued within uh, on the within deal. And the CMA has stopped the Giphy deal and is now proceeding potentially against us. You say, look, we don't know what those regulators are going to do. And we can pout about it and we can pursue penalties. We can pursue appeals, but we can't make promises on that. So I just want people to know that as we go now, finally, deep into the documents, that that's the state of play. Uh, I, I still think the deal should go through. I think that this kind of deal does not jeopardize competition in the way that some regulators appear to be leaning towards. That doesn't mean I can make promises for what those regulators might otherwise say. All right, let's hit a few more questions and super chats before we start this document. I know we're all excited to do that. Um, and uh, let's just see if I can find them. In paragraph 178 of their decision, I'm not there yet. We're on paragraph one. <laughs> the CMA says they are reviewing the this qualitatively and not quantitatively. How is that allowed? <laughs> uh, so this, I think, probably lines up with what we were just talking about with respect to dynamic markets. Uh, right. Dynamic markets is a little bit like trying to stick jello to the wall by having a throwing knife uh, that you throw and try to get it to stop. Uh, dynamic markets as a definition is used by a regulator that wants to be a little bit more active in the regulation and uh, is a little bit more like what the kids might call feels oriented. How is it allowed? It's allowed if the tribunal accepts it and the otherwise the UK legal system accept it. And we saw that with Giphy. The, the Giphy argument is dynamism for the most part, not static markets. Uh, and so I can't speak to how it's allowed. I can't speak to why it's allowed any more than I really can with respect to American laws. I can just tell you that right now it's enough that if you're Microsoft, you have to have a little quake in your boots from what you're seeing with what these, this tribunal and everyone else is doing. Carmine presents question. If Microsoft decides, hey, this is just not what we want and backs out of the deal, would they see similar issues if they went and tried to buy another publisher, EA, Sega, et cetera? I suspect the the lower down the price goes, that the easier you would have a time of the, the competitors with. I mean, certainly if you were buying something at about the bungee level, um, you have a pretty good defense since Sony's deal went straight through. Um, and so I think you could definitely justify that. Six billion, probably the same. 70 billion, I think you start to get into more of these issues. That top line number really does matter to the people that are evaluating the deal. And I think we're all set as we dive deep into the documentation. Oh, one more. Rezu, after this deal, do you think it will be harder for Sony to buy a publisher? Kind of depends on what happens here, right? It depends on what whether it goes through, whether it doesn't. It depends on what publisher we're talking about. Generally speaking, there isn't anything as big as Activision out there on the market. Um, so it really does depend. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. Let's talk about what the CMA said. Buckle up, folks. Get your tea ready. We're in Britain. And uh, let's talk about it. Uh, so the first thing they note here in terms of structure, this one's 76 pages. Uh, so I will try not to read every word, but we'll try to get the gist of every paragraph. Uh, when you see these scissors, that is them excising information that was provided to them by industry participants that is otherwise kind of trade secret or valuable uh, to those companies. They actually got dinged on this uh, by the, uh, the meta Giphy uh, tribunal because they were called that they were clipping too much stuff 
to allow Facebook to add, to respond properly. And the tribunal made them put it back in uh, for their final determination. That doesn't matter in terms of what that final determination wound up being, uh, but it does kind of play into the CMA is controlling the, the game a little bit more than maybe they should. Okay. Overview. CMA conducted a phase one investigation. After examining a range of evidence, CMA believes that the merger meets the threshold to go to a phase two investigation. Really nothing surprising there. Talked about it in this space. I've always thought this deal was deserving of a phase two kind of review at any jurisdictional level. Uh, and that's what the CMA says. As a result of the initial concerns found in the phase one investigation, the CMA is therefore considering whether to accept undertakings. They did not. This is actually funnily referencing back to when the decision is made at the top of September. Microsoft says, no, we're not doing undertakings, which are concessions uh, to them. Uh, and that's the timing concept. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the gaming industry. The same three companies have been the only major suppliers in the console gaming market for the past 20 years. Gaming industry is the UK's largest revenue generating form of entertainment. It is bigger than pay TV, home video, which is not a phrase I'm used to hearing, cinema, music, or books. Y'all are playing too many video games, not reading enough books. Somewhere a parent is unhappy. In 2021, it generated approximately 7 billion pounds in revenue in the UK. For the past 20 years, the same three companies have been the only significant suppliers of console gaming. That's Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. I don't need to tell you all that. As part of its investigation, the CMA sought to ensure that the merger would not substantially reduce either current or future potential competition, which, which is good because that's their ambit. That's what they're supposed to be doing. The CMA shall make a reference to its chair if it believes that it is or may be the case that agreements that are in process will create a relevant merger situation, 70 million pounds, give or take, and the creation of the situation may be expected to result in a substantially lessening of competition within any market or markets in the United Kingdom for goods or services. And they get to define those markets. They get to figure out what they are with some rules, but they get to define those markets. So they say, hey, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look to see if it substantially reduces either current or future potential competition. We're good so far. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Part of the difficulty in entering and expanding in the console gaming market is the existence of strong network effects. Console providers such as Microsoft compete to attract users who want to play high-quality games, often with friends, as well as high-quality content from game developers who want to make games for consoles with a large user base. We want to go where the people are, like Ariel. Consoles with a lot of gamers attract better content, which in turn attracts more gamers to that console, which in turn attracts better content, and so on. This self-reinforcing mechanism makes it more difficult for new entrants without a large user base or good pre-existing gaming content to enter and grow in the market. Now here I'm going to take my first issue with the CMA. Uh, and I believe I said this when we were doing the earlier video, but video gaming is very responsive to quality and price and the other metrics that you would hope a given market would be responsive to. You can see this in the wildly disparate fortunes of these three companies in any given jurisdiction, right? Nintendo's riding high with the Switch. How are they doing with the Wii U? Microsoft is riding high with the Series X and Game Pass. How are they doing with the One? Sony is okay with the PlayStation 5, I think. Certainly was riding high with the PlayStation 4 and then asked them how they were doing with the PlayStation 3. This market is very responsive to your console being crap or overpriced. And so I disagree that a regulator necessarily has to step in and, and kind of hork with what they are describing as network effects. Yes, within a generation that can happen, generations are only seven years long. This is a tiny, tiny lifespan for looking at regulatory review. And so I think that's probably one of the first problems I have with it. 
In addition to consoles, people play games on personal computers and mobile devices. Consoles and PCs can usually pr process larger and more complex games, such as Call of Duty. Mobile devices currently lack the technical capabilities to play most console games, and most people use them to play more casual games, such as Candy Crush. I like how you use both of their games. So that's, a, a, you know, a mostly okay definition of the gaming industry, but maybe with a little bit of a problem overemphasizing how sticky it is uh, to transfer between consoles because it isn't at all. Subscription services and cloud gaming are growing. And this is the CMA setting up for what they want to do, right? Which is that they are going to tell you that subscription gaming and cloud gaming are separate markets because that's where Microsoft is most powerful. And if you want to do something against Microsoft, that's how you set up this question. The CMA believes the gaming industry is in a transitional phase. Over the past several years, gamers have typically accessed games by paying an upfront fee and downloading the relevant games from a digital storefront to their console or device. For consoles, this buy-to-play model, whereby the gamer pays for the game in full and then accesses the software locally on their device, remains the primary mode of delivering games. In recent years, two important and closely related disruptions have started to emerge in the gaming industry. The first is the development of cloud gaming services, a technology that allows complex games to be accessed on remote servers and streamed directly to a device. Since games are executed remotely, gamers can play using a range of devices that can be less powerful and are often cheaper than consoles, such as mobile phones or tablets. In fact, that's how most AAA games come to the Switch, if at all. There have been several recent entrants into the gaming industry using this disruptive technology, including Amazon Luna, Netflix, Google Stadia, Blacknut, NVIDIA GeForce Now, as well as publishers like Ubisoft. Many industry experts predict that cloud gaming will continue to grow significantly in the coming years. Now, this is a little bit eliding as well, because while it might grow in the subsequent years, it is not big uh, at all right now. The second important development is the emergence of a multi-game subscription service. Unlike the traditional buy-to-play model, these services allow gamers to access a catalog of games for a fixed, often monthly fee. Some subscription services currently offer games that must be downloaded and played on consoles with a smaller selection of games that can be streamed from cloud infrastructure, such as Xbox Game Pass. And other subscription services offer gaming libraries that are entirely cloud-based, such as Amazon Luna and, pour one out, Google Stadia. While most of the revenue in the industry continues to be generated from the purchase of individual games, multi-game subscription services are rapidly growing and have attracted a range of new entrants, including Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, Amazon, Apple, Electronic Arts, Ubisoft, NVIDIA, Netflix, Utomic, Blacknut, and Google. That's right. Game Pass is here. It's pretty popular. Although the console gaming market is highly concentrated with those three participants, the CMA believes that the shift to cloud gaming services and multi-gaming subscription services is opening a window of opportunity for new entrants. Hooray for all. To succeed, these new entrants will need to offer a strong gaming catalog that will attract users. Cloud gaming service providers will also need access to cloud infrastructure and an operating system license, especially Windows, which is the operating system for which most PC games are designed. So you see them laying the groundwork for what is going to be their claim. Now, in fairness, I'm not positive you need a strong gaming catalog specifically. There's often different axes that you can fight on, including price. Uh, you could have a mid-range catalog if it were a dollar a month, um, and that might be able to compete with some of these bigger ones. Price and quality tend to be the two axes that you look at here. But in general, I think we can grant the CMA that it's better than not to have a lot of good games on the subscription service that you choose to market. So that's the, the first section. That is the gaming industry. Uh, let's go. Let's check to see if anybody has any questions. Make sure that we're on top of this to the best of my ability. Uh, we do have one, it looks like. 
Would this have gotten this much pushback if Google, Apple, Tencent, or uh, someone else had tried? Would they have been a better chance of getting it through if Microsoft failed? Depends on the company. I actually think Google, Apple, Amazon, some of the big tech companies would have a harder time. Uh, those are the ones that are really in the crosshairs of the regulatory bodies right now. Um, and you can go back and you can see videos that I have done on like the Senate hearings and tech companies. Generally speaking, Microsoft, although it's a large tech company, has mostly escaped that level of scrutiny. So some companies might be better. But if you were going to have a top line tech company up there, I think you'd be facing the same kind of discussion. Certainly Facebook, right? All the regulators seem to agree that they hate Facebook. Um, and so they would have a problem doing this, I think, at the same time, even though they don't have a big presence uh, in the gaming space. Question, is there a scenario where the regulators request that Blizzard King is broken off and sold to Microsoft but request Call of Duty and Activision are somehow separated from purchase? Anything's on the table. Uh, you do see sometimes when you've got a deal that is going through that is blocked and it's asked for a spinoff. We saw this and some people miss it, but we saw it with Disney and Fox where Fox was uh, forced to spin off some of its assets in order to complete that deal and be sold to Disney. So it can happen. I don't think that would solve any of the issues that are identified here by the CMA or other regulators that are likely to find issues. So I don't know that that is the likely solution, uh, but yes, they can ask for basically anything that they want. Microsoft is a global technology company. They have a strong gaming ecosystem. Ecosystem. Echo the Dolphin was pretty big on the Sega, but I don't know much on the Microsoft. Ecosystem offering a wide range of products and services with a global turnover of nearly 125 billion pounds in 2021. Since 2001, it has released several generations of Xbox gaming console. Xbox is one of the three major consoles in the market alongside PlayStation and Switch. Gamers typically download digital copies of the games they want to play on Xbox, from Microsoft's Xbox Store. Microsoft also offers a multi-game subscription service, Xbox Game Pass, where gamers pay a monthly fee to gain access to a library of cloud-based gaming content, of downloadable and cloud-based gaming content. Microsoft is also a game publisher. They don't just distribute them, they make them, and currently owns 24 game development studios, several of which it acquired in recent years. These studios make games such as Minecraft, Forza, Elder Scrolls, and Halo, for Xbox and other consoles, PC, and mobile devices. Some of this content is available exclusively on Xbox, and some is licensed to rival console providers, especially Minecraft. Microsoft has other business areas that are relevant to gaming. One is Azure, a leading cloud platform, i.e. a network of data centers and cloud computing infrastructure that offers a wide range of services across several industries, including gaming. Another is Windows, the leading PC operating system. Many people play games on a PC rather than a console, and the vast majority of them use Windows. Because of its popularity, game developers generally make games that are designed and optimized for Windows. That's Xbox. They make stuff. Activision also makes stuff. ABK is a game developer and publisher with global turnover of 6.3 billion pounds. It develops gaming content for consoles, PC, and mobile, and its three most popular franchises, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and Candy Crush, account for most of its revenue. Call of Duty in particular is widely regarded as one of the most successful gaming franchises of all time. For more than a decade, its releases have ranked in the top games available on console, and are expected to continue to do so. Call of Duty. I don't know if anybody's sick of talking about it, but I had never expected Call of Duty to be this important to regulators as we discuss this particular transaction. Honestly, Candy Crush seems more important, but we're getting away from ourselves. Microsoft's acquisition of ABK is a significant transaction. That's self-evident. It's almost 70 billion US dollars. The merger is conditional on receiving merger control clearance from folks like us. What is our assessment, asks the CMA. And I say, I don't know, CMA, why are you asking yourselves? 
Uh, but we'll get into that in just a second. We do have a few more questions. Uh, if the deal doesn't go through, do you think Activision would retaliate against Sony by removing Call of Duty from PlayStation? No. Uh, that would be taking a gun and shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, and I think that that is very unlikely to happen. Uh, but they might not agree to another exclusive marketing campaign. They might not agree to some of the stuff that they otherwise would have. They might charge more for those services. Uh, certainly, uh, it's not a friendly situation here. Uh, and, and Activision might hold a grudge for some time. But they won't just cut themselves off from making money. Brat, video game news, opinions, and more. Hogue, are you surprised by the CMA giving... EU scrutiny of the big five. Historically, they've required things of Microsoft that the FTC has not. I would say that I am not surprised by the European side of the equation uh, being the harsher side than the other regulatory bodies that we traditionally see. I, I would have imagined that Microsoft in its back offices in January would have said to themselves, Europe could be a problem, um, including in their heads, UK for that purpose. So I'm not surprised necessarily uh, I am a little surprised that this is being litigated in open public with some angry words. And as another commenter said earlier in this video, really suggestive of Microsoft saying that the CMA is incompetent. Like th there are really harsh corporate words uh, that I would not say advantage the corporate position when facing a regulator that has this total authority. Right. If the tribunal, as we just discussed earlier in this video, is only going to look at the rational basis, generally speaking, the CMA is going to be able to use, you know, 73 pages of paragraphs for any specific thing that they want to accomplish. And it's very difficult to deem them irrational. You can deem them wrong, but we find ourselves in reasonable minds can differ. And it's very difficult to prove that they are irrational. And so Microsoft has to come very hard on the stuff that they think makes the CMA's case to establish it as flatly irrational, completely wrong, crazy. Tribunal, the CMA is crazy. You have to stop them. You have to put them on a leash because they're insane. That's a tough case to make, uh, especially from a foreign body like Microsoft acting in the UK. Uh, Harjeet Shani, a subservice needs its own content. Netflix, Apple Arcade, and Oh Yeah Game Pass. None of those had a lot of their own content. Game Pass started when Xbox had four studios. Right, well, we can see that. We can see any kind of content provider or, or service looking at the history right now, saying that, well, Netflix found itself very vulnerable to the content coming from third parties. So they built up their studios. That's the natural way of things because as these various content providers realize how much value there is, what was stopping Activision from having an Activision Game Pass? It's really only infrastructure, money, and will. And so Xbox is trying to get in front of that and saying, all right, we're buying ZeniMax, we're buying Activision, we're buying the things that we can. And you can look at that and say, well, that might be too much. That might be monopolizing a nascent market in subscription services that we are worried about. I tend to disagree that they are separate markets. I think even Sony disagrees with that, as we saw in the answers that they gave to Brazil. But if you're a regulator that says, hey, this should be stopped, then that's the kind of reason that you could give for stopping it. Garen Seifert, do you think Microsoft can make the argument that this would be good cause of Activision's controversies and how poorly it handled them? Uh, oh, it would be good because, <clears throat> okay, yes, I think Microsoft has certainly made that argument to the public. Right, the public saw what was happening in Activision Blizzard King. And it's interesting that this news story, the transaction itself, has kind of subsumed all the troubles uh, at Activision in terms of newsworthiness, right? They saw those problems. They saw how the people reacted to them. They also saw the discount pricing that resulted. And they said, we'll buy it up. And what we'll say is we're great people. Microsoft's going to handle these things. They're going to clean them up. Now, if you're so inclined, you can go look and you can see Microsoft has had its own problems with harassment, has had its own problems with subculture, and people have brought those to my attention and otherwise asked me to talk on them. 
I don't think that that's necessarily uh, the right way to talk about these things. I certainly hope for everybody involved at Activision that new management, whatever that might look like, would help their day-to-day lives. Um, and certainly Activision at best right now seems, uh, I usually say, uh, tangential to uh, to legal compliance. Uh, maybe not a fully compliant invested management group over there and new management would maybe help. Um, so I think Microsoft has a good argument there. Would it win the day at the regulator's office? Probably not. Nicholas Starro, in the EU and the UK, the larger the company, the harder acquisitions are. Google was fined 8 billion euros for antitrust breach in these cases. Yeah, uh, if you're going to get dinged by the UK or you're going to get dinged by the European Commission and you want to just go over the top with that stuff, then yeah, you're going to start collecting penalties. And you're going to fight about them. We see that very often. I don't know what the background is for Nicholas's reference to Google here is, but we see that very often with respect to um, the phone OSs. We see that with Apple. We see that with Google, um, where they don't want to make separate products for different jurisdictions, and they maybe just try to go over the top. Uh, and that can result in penalties. These are the choices that these companies can make, uh, but it gets pretty expensive. Okay, back to the document. We are on page three of like 71 or something like that. So let's go through it just a little bit more. Let me turn off my uh, alerts there so we make sure we don't get too much of that. Why is the CMA looking at the merger? Now, they couldn't just answer it's really, really big, Haas. So they answered the following. The CMA's primary duty is to seek to promote competition both within and outside the UK for the benefit of consumers. It has a duty to investigate mergers that could raise competition concerns in the UK, provided it has jurisdiction to do so. The CMA believes it has jurisdiction to review this merger. The CMA believes it is or may be the case that each of Microsoft and Activision is an enterprise and that they will cease to be distinct as a result of the merger and that the turnover test is met given ABK generated more than 70 million pounds in 2021. This is a size test. That's that relevant merger concept. Accordingly, arrangements are in process, uh, progress or contemplation, which if carried into effect will result in the creation of a relevant merger situation. There's really no combating this. They absolutely have the right to look at this deal. How did the CMA investigate? At phase one, the CMA needs to invest, establish whether there is a realistic prospect of an SLC, that's a substantial lessening of competition, which merits a reference to the phase two. This is a lower threshold than will be used during the phase two, which requires the CMA to conclude that the merger is likely to result in the uh, significant lessening of competition. So I've mentioned this before in this space, but this sometimes get lost in the wash a little bit. The current standard is what we would consider in the US to be probable cause. There is a possibility that this thing could happen if this deal goes down. And this is why I thought it always was deserving of a phase two. Of course there is. This is two giant corporations. One is one of the biggest tech companies on earth. The other has very large intellectual properties in this industry. And you say, is there a realistic prospect that something could go wrong in terms of the markets and competition? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it likely? There I leave you, right? And if phase two comes back and says, no, we don't have an issue with it. Well, then I would argue the process worked, even though people have their issues with what the CMA is ultimately going to say in this document. To understand the implications of the merger on competition, the CMA gathered information from a wide variety of sources, including by using the CMA's statutory information gathering powers to ensure that the CMA has as complete a picture as possible under the constraints of the statutory timetable. We used our authority to go get docs. As part of its phase one investigation, the CMA gathered data, reviewed over 1,000 internal documents from Microsoft and Activision to understand their businesses, their future strategies in the gaming industry as a whole. The CMA also gathered evidence from other market participants, such as game developers and competitors across console, cloud, PC, and mobile gaming, which included both written and oral submissions. 
as well as their internal documents. This evidence shows that the merger could impact competition in several ways. Could is very important. We see this throughout the document. Could is different than will. Um, and that gets lost in the wash as well. The current standard is, is there a realistic prospect? And here the CMA is going to find it, it is. It's a realistic prospect. It's possible. The CMA focused on the most important ways in which the merger could potentially harm competition, both now and in the future. These theories of harm assess the harm to competition that could arise from Microsoft withholding or degrading Activision's content from other consoles or multi-game subscription services. This always seemed like the most likely avenue to fight this thing is you're going to keep it off PlayStation Plus, and that's going to kill PlayStation Plus in a market we have defined as game subscription services. I don't think that market should be defined that way. I would fight that. Uh, I don't think it's appropriate. But if you do, if you allow that, it's not irrational, which is the big problem. Microsoft leveraging its broader ecosystem together with Activision's game catalog to strengthen its own network effects, raise barriers to entry, and ultimately foreclose rivals in cloud gaming. So the, the two items here are effectively Game Pass and xCloud. Uh, and that's what they want to fight about the most. Um, on that, let's see, we have a super chat, I believe. I want to make sure I grab it. Very generous, $50 super chat. Thank you so much, JD Gamer. If this merger were to fail, is there anything preventing Microsoft from taking the $70 billion and creating partnerships that give Microsoft control but not ownership over IP like Call of Duty, Candy Crush, Diablo, like what Square says they want to do with their IP? It really depends on the investment. Um, antitrust laws can still kick in if you're not taking a majority share. Um, and it would depend on the structuring. Uh, but certainly, a company with that level of lawyering and that level of ability to drop down subsidiaries and do various things can take that $70 billion and spend it differently in a way that would likely pass muster uh, and give it maybe not exactly the same powers over various of the intellectual property, but a lot of power. Uh, and I, I think that would maybe be likely <laughs> the result of them getting that $70 billion less the penalty they have to pay to Activision back. Um, and so uh, I don't know uh, that it would look exactly as you describe it, uh, but I certainly think that there are ways that they could move forward in the economy. Thank you so much for the super chat. I really appreciate it. On that note, we are an hour in. I did say I want to make sure if you love this content, if you like hearing these conversations, we're doing a little bit of a drive here. Check out the Utreon, check out the Patreon, subscribe to the YouTube, do those various kinds of things because all that stuff helps most definitely. I also saw that we got a new member here, Joseph Sanchez. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the emojis. We got a lot. <clears throat> and now let's move on with the coyly phrased a game-changing merger. Microsoft already holds a strong position in the gaming industry through its established Xbox console, which has a large user base and a strong catalog of gaming content. Microsoft has been steadily strengthening its gaming ecosystem in line with the evolution of the gaming industry, including by acquiring independent gaming studios such as Bethesda in 2021, expanding Game Pass, its market-leading multi-game subscription service, and developing its cloud infrastructure to better support its gaming activities. Acquiring ABK would significantly expand Microsoft's own gaming library, adding some of the world's best-selling and most recognizable franchises, including Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and Candy Crush. And the CMA is concerned that having full control over this powerful catalog, especially in light of Microsoft's already strong position in gaming consoles, operating systems, and cloud infrastructure, could result in Microsoft harming consumers by impairing Sony's, Microsoft's closest gaming rival, ability to compete, as well as that of other existing rivals and potential new entrants, who could otherwise bring healthy competition through innovative multi-game subscriptions and cloud gaming services. 
So you see them really focusing on that cloud gaming and game subscription service kind of concept. Uh, whether that makes sense to you, reasonable minds can differ, but that's what they're focused on. And this is where you get this kind of console warification on Twitter or on social media, right? This is the first reference that we have seen so far, page five of 76, <clears throat> to Sony. And this reference says, you will harm consumers if you harm Sony. And that doesn't really ring true, right? The nature of competition is to harm your competitors. That's what competition means. That's why you're trying to both get the same dollar and one of you is going to get it and one of you is not. Now, of course, there's growing pies and things like that from an economics perspective, but ultimately we want competition to get those prices down, that quality up by fighting for those consumer bucks. And so Microsoft harming Sony's kind of already existing market position does not in our heads intuitively lead to consumers being harmed. And, and that's ultimately, if we didn't read any other page of this document, that's what the fight is about. How much is this true? How much does Sony losing its fortune or its market share or whatever actually hurt consumers? Microsoft argues not at all. Uh, we're going to give away more games cheaper. We're going to get that market share from delivering more goods at higher value to those customers. And Sony can beat sand. Sony says, oh, no, so, no, no, no. Uh, this is way too much. They're subsidizing their stuff. They're going to get rid of Call of Duty and we can't compete. We can't compete without Call of Duty. What could be the impact of the merger on gaming consoles and subscription services? The CMA gathered substantial evidence from Microsoft, Activision, and third parties to assess the significance of Activision's gaming portfolio. This evidence consistently pointed to Activision's content, especially Call of Duty, as being important and capable of making a material difference to the success of rivals' gaming platforms. Indeed, I think that's true. Activision invests significant time and capital in creating regular Call of Duty releases, which consistently rank as some of the most popular games. These titles require thousands of game developers and several years to complete, and there are very few other games of similar caliber eh, or popularity. True. The CMA believes the merger could allow Microsoft to make Activision content, including Call of Duty, exclusive to Xbox or Game Pass. That's generally what it means when you buy an asset or otherwise degrade its rivals' access to Activision content, such as by delaying releases or imposing licensing price increases. This is interesting, right? Normally, when we think of degrading rivals' access or not having a parity of features, uh, we're not usually incorporating what I would consider to be the most likely outcome of an attack from Microsoft on this, which is we're not going to take things away from you. It's just that instead of you getting 30%, we're only willing to give you 20 Or... We're going to mandate that you, if you enter into a contract with us, you have to sell your game at $100 and we'll advertise ours on Game Pass and we'll see how it goes. Um, and so the CMA is trying to get out in front of that. They call this, instead of exclusives, which is the term we're more used to in the industry, they call this foreclosure. Uh, in particular, they call it input foreclosure as if Call of Duty were as an input necessary to actually create your PlayStation ecosystem. This is not a comfortable fit. Uh, for talking about video games, but that's what they're going to call it here. The CMA examined internal documents and economic analyses to, to assess whether Microsoft would have an incentive to use Activision's content to foreclose rivals. Hey, would you actually do this? <clears throat> the CMA did not limit its analysis to an assessment of the short-term or static costs and benefits to Microsoft of engaging in these strategies. Okay, so this is another fight we're going to see between these two parties. Microsoft is going to come out here and say, we would never take Call of Duty off of PlayStation. Look how much money it makes. And the CMA, I think justifiably here, says um, we're looking a little bit more long-term. Rather, the CMA considered Microsoft's broader strategies as evidenced by its internal documents. This will be a fight. 
and historical course of dealing following similar transactions in the past. The CMA found that the potential strategic benefits to Microsoft of using Activision's content to foreclose rivals, such as expanding the Game Pass user base and strengthening network effects in its gaming ecosystem, could outweigh any immediate losses in terms of licensing revenues. So the CMA, which is acting as kind of economic scientists in this role, goes out there and says, Microsoft, we don't have to take your word for it. You know, we don't want to foreclose it. We make too much money on Call of Duty. We can look at what you've done internally. We can look at what you've done in the past and we can say, you want to sell Game Passes, right? Well, if you make sure that Game Pass is the only place where you can play Call of Duty, uh, that might be worth the loss in selling it into the PlayStation ecosystem. In fact, the CMA says they found that. <clears throat> now, they found it with potential benefits. And I tend to agree. Yeah, it's a possibility. I'm not looking at the internal economics here. They found that that could be the case. And so they can evaluate it as if it is the case, right? Because this is phase one. The CMA notes that Microsoft has followed this approach in several past acquisitions of gaming studios, where it made future game releases from those studios exclusive in consoles, such as the upcoming Starfield, which is not yet exclusive. It's not out. And based on Microsoft's public statements, Elder Scrolls 6 from Bethesda. All right, CMA, you're cheating. When is that game going to come out? I might be dead. <laughs> Nobody has any idea. I don't know that the Elder Scrolls 6 has even started production. I, I, I have no idea. Uh, the CMA believes that in the short to medium term, the main rival that could be affected by this conduct would be Sony. Evidence suggests that Microsoft and Sony compete closely with each other in terms of content, target audience, and console technology. Here's where the CMA really cheats. They want to kick Nintendo out entirely. Nintendo, on the other hand, competes less closely with either of Sony or Microsoft, generally offering games that focus more on family fun and innovative ways of playing like the Wii Fit board. What year is that from? and does not currently offer any Call of Duty games on the Nintendo Switch. So this is a very myopic view of the video game industry. In fact, it's an importantly myopic one if you're on the CMA side, because as we looked at in Brazil, Brazil rightly goes and says, well, Nintendo doesn't have Call of Duty and it survives just fine. You could do different things to compete, Sony. And I tend to agree with Brazil. CMA says, no, Nintendo's in a different market entirely, which I don't believe one bit. Um, so Nintendo's in a different market, so we can only talk about Xbox and Sony. We don't even have to bring Nintendo into it. PlayStation currently has a larger share of the console gaming market than Xbox, but the CMA considers that Call of Duty is sufficiently important that losing access to it could significantly impact Sony's revenues and user base. Probably true, but no real problem yet. This impact is likely to be felt, especially at the launch of the next generation, where gamers make fresh decisions about which console to buy. I thought we were talking about stickiness. I thought these, there were network effects. The CMA believes that the merger could therefore significantly weaken Microsoft's closest rival to the detriment of overall competition in console gaming. We're taking rhetorical leaps now, right? Sony hurt Microsoft with exclusives. Microsoft is seeking to go and take that market share back or, or establish it for the first time with the purchase of Activision and Call of Duty. Generally speaking, this is not something that we're overly concerned about. We want this to happen. And effectively, what the CMA is going to have to do is say that Sony can't compete Sony's out if they don't have Call of Duty in order to get to that kind of conclusion. As the market for multi-game subscription gaming services grows, Microsoft could use its control over ABK content to foreclose rivals, including recent and future entrants into gaming, as well as more established players like Sony. Absent the merger, Activision would, in principle, be available to any multi-game subscription service. The CMA recognizes that ABK's newest games are not currently available on any service on the day of release, but considers that this may change. So the CMA has to reach even further. Activision doesn't actually put anything on its subscription services because it wants to sell games and not just make whatever the subscription service might otherwise pay it. But, you know, they might in the future. 
Okay. After the merger, Microsoft would gain control of this important input and could use it to harm the competitiveness of its rivals. As the multi-game subscription market is still in its infancy, the effect of the merger could be to tip or significantly increase concentration in the market in Microsoft's favor before future rivals have a chance to develop. The CMA therefore believes that the merger gives rise to significant competition concerns in multi-game subscription services, including cloud gaming, to the extent those are distributed through those multi-game subscription services. So the CMA's ultimate thrust here is... You are still young subscription service industry, which is ordinarily a place where regulators don't like to get involved because it's dynamic and things haven't even settled yet. You're still young. We want to make sure that Microsoft doesn't win you too hard because that could prevent anything from actually happening in this nascent industry. Your mileage may vary on this stuff, uh, right? Certainly my own kind of opinion editorialization is that regulators should be cautious about tech in general because it moves so fast but also industries that are really, really young and you don't know what the dynamics are at all. Uh, and so saying, well, they don't go on subscription services, but they could, and this could tip something in one way or the other. We we're like six or seven assumptions down. Is that probable cause for our purposes? We're getting a little weak. We're getting a little weak. <clears throat> what could the impact of the merger be on cloud gaming? In the longer term, many market participants expect cloud gaming to grow and for gamers to shift from console gaming to cloud gaming on a range of devices. This market is growing rapidly and has seen several new entrants that were previously not active in console gaming, including cloud platform providers such as Google and Amazon and game developers such as Ubisoft. Microsoft already has a combination of assets that is difficult for other cloud gaming service providers to match. By having a large and well-distributed cloud infrastructure, Microsoft will be able to host games on its servers on preferential terms and reach gamers throughout the world without having to pay a fee to a third-party cloud platform. We run our own infrastructure. We don't have to pay outside services. It's generally why you do that. By having Windows, the OS where the vast majority of PC games are played, Microsoft can stream games from Windows servers without having to pay an expensive Windows licensing fee and may be able to design and test games made for Windows more effectively than rivals. And by having an existing console ecosystem, Microsoft has an existing user base of gamers to which it can promote its cloud gaming services as well as a range of popular games they can offer. Now, this is one of those areas where the modern world has kind of separated from kind of the historical antitrust side of things. What they described right here in paragraph 32 are generally considered to be vertical efficiencies. The reason you allow companies to purchase these various aspects of any given pipeline is that you believe that if they own all these things and you don't have to pay third parties for licenses and you otherwise get the inputs all working together, then they're more efficient and consumers get better quality stuff for cheaper. Everything that's in this paragraph is describing something that's like, yeah, that's, that's probably how I would get games better and, and more secure and for a cheaper price. Um, you're going to have to explain to me when I'm supposed to be worried as a consumer. The merger would therefore bring together the company in a uniquely strong position to offer cloud gaming services with one of the industry's strongest gaming catalogs. The CMA is concerned that by leveraging Activision's content and Microsoft's wider ecosystem, Microsoft will have an unparalleled advantage over current and potential cloud gaming service providers. Unparalleled against potential, like forever. This could result in increased concentration in cloud gaming services. Notice that could. Remember, all they have to show is that it's possible. Uh, or the market tipping to Microsoft and ultimately deny consumers the benefits of competition between new and emerging providers vying to succeed in cloud gaming. The CMA recognizes that if Microsoft were to significantly increase its market power in cloud gaming, this could have knock-on effects on independent game developers and publishers who compete against Microsoft's own gaming portfolio and who could be di disadvantaged in a number of ways, such as by having to pay higher fees 
or by being demoted on Microsoft's gaming ecosystem. Okay. All right. Hold on. So you could have such success in cloud gaming that what you're trying to tag as the problem are indie developers who one would presume have a new marketing pipeline that's pretty darn successful and gets games to consumers. But you're so you're worried that it'll just absolutely kill any other possible competition because Microsoft has too much, I guess, extra technological power. The problem with this argument, of course, is that Microsoft has competition on the server side of this equation. Cloud gaming is not driving anybody's decisions right now. And so you're hypothesizing well into the future, just like you were doing with respect to the game subscription services. Again, <clears throat> this is a difference in philosophies, uh, right? This is a regulator that is saying, I, it's okay for me to go and look into my economic crystal ball and kind of decide these things to come to my determination. I cannot promise you it is irrational. I can say that it's not the way that I would recommend regulating these particular industries. The CMA therefore believes the merger could substantially reduce competition in cloud, cloud gaming services. What happens next? As a result of these concerns, the CMA believes that the merger gives rise to a realistic prospect of that lessened competition in gaming consoles, so Xbox versus PlayStation, game subscription services, Game Pass versus PlayStation Plus, and cloud gaming services, <clears throat> xCloud versus question mark, question mark, question mark, right? Something like Luna and Stadia and PlayStation Now, something. The CMA is therefore considering whether to accept undertakings. They never got those and otherwise to proceed with phase two. Now we can, in fact, I know I said we're going to go through it all. We're about an hour and 20 minutes in. Again, drink your tea. Make sure your voice stays strong for these kinds of streams. We can probably skip at least some of this stuff. Uh, but I do know that the specifics of the numbers here and elsewhere are going to come into play for Microsoft's defense. Um, so we're going to try not to just willy-nilly skip these kinds of things. I do want to make sure we grab any questions or super chats here. Again, we've got one from Gmania1. If the deal gets blocked, can Activision itself take Call of Duty off PlayStation for screwing them out of $70 billion? Yeah, the, the actual owner of the asset can decide what it wants. However, the management of Activision is still going to have a fiduciary responsibility to its investors, right? So spite is really not supposed to be a motivating force for a CEO or an officer of a publicly traded corporation, right? So you've got shareholders, they've given you their money to hopefully make it grow. And you say, we're going to keep it off PlayStation because you guys suck. It's fair. It's a fair cop. However, if you give up hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars for that, well, you're probably looking at a shareholder lawsuit. And that's not great. So yes, they could, but it's probably not what they would do from a legal perspective in all likelihood. Video game, if the deal fails, can Microsoft still purchase Blizzard slash King? <clears throat> yeah, any given corporation can spin off its assets, but we don't know. That would be a regulatory review as well. Anything over, as you saw in the UK, 70 billion pounds, I believe, or 70 million pounds uh, gets reviewed. I think the current uh, pricing in the United States is in the hundreds of millions of dollars right now for Hart Scott Rodino review. Uh, so mostly those deals would still require a full regulatory process and you wind up here uh, as well. Um, okay, so we're going to look at this assessment. Got a lot of chats here. I'm loving all of this. Tell your friends we're having this conversation. If you haven't already, like this stream. That's what YouTube really likes to see. That recommends more people. We have this conversation with even more folks. Um, please do that. I appreciate it. Burn 98 Assuming others approve, could Microsoft refuse to sell Activision titles in the UK and instead work with a third party to do so? The third party is not going to get you through it. Uh, generally speaking, these regulators have a look-through kind of concept, which is to say, 
if it ultimately comes back to you, you can't structure your way around it. I don't know what the UK would do. And certainly all of those are facts and circumstances based questions. There are ways to structure it that maybe you're separate enough if the money doesn't come directly to you. I don't know. Uh, but the kind of tricks, the loopholes, those aren't generally going to work because the CMA can look at it and say, hey, that's you. You're you're selling it into the UK. That's we're not we're not dumb. That's that's you, Microsoft. Uh, and so that that probably won't happen that way. Paul, what has shocked you the most so far during this Activision, uh, this acquisition, Activision and acquisition, folks? Um, honestly, it is the public nature of the fighting between Microsoft and Sony. Um, it has always been to the benefit of those companies and to the industry on the whole for there to be a certain amount of growing the pie, bringing more people to gaming. This is a cool place to be. We're all in this together. More gamers, more fun, etc., etc. And <clears throat> I think uh, Sony and Xbox when they were discussing the fact that uh, there was an offer made to have Call of Duty on for an extra, I think it was two years, three years, something along those lines, uh, and making that public and then kind of fighting in public with quotes to games industry biz and whatnot, that's what most shocked me. Obviously, we've accelerated from there. I just didn't think that these companies would get into that position. It's honestly not the most professional position to be in. Um, and so that's what's most shocking to me is that we're now doing all of this publicly. When that's not where I thought we would wind up. Joseph Sanchez, if any company were to take the regulator to court and that company were to win, would the regulator still be able to ask for concessions? Oh, well, that is a complicated question. <laughs> so let's take it from the American side of things. It's the side I know better. Uh, if the FTC decided that they were going to block the deal, uh, they would tell Microsoft uh, and they would say, well, Microsoft, we're going to block the deal because here are the problems that we've identified. Here are the things we would accept as concessions and a consent decree to allow you to purchase this. And maybe that list is fine with Microsoft and they say, great. Uh, maybe it's not fine with them. And they negotiated a little bit. And if it got to be really not fine with them, Microsoft would have the option of saying, no, we don't think you actually have the authority to block this deal because we're not substantially less in competition. We aren't otherwise engaged in a violative antitrust kind of uh, transaction. Let's go to federal court to discuss it. At that point in time, different aspects of the deal might be allowed. Uh, it might be just allowed straight up. It doesn't block it. You can do it exactly as you have otherwise claimed. And the FTC has to step down. But the court has all sorts of equitable powers to say, okay, well, these requests are too far afield. You know, you ask them to name their firstborn son FTC and to disco dance at your FTC birthday parties. That's not okay. That doesn't relate to their market power. Let's get something like a consent decree that makes sense for everybody and everything in between. <laughs> so basically any option is on the table, but the more realistic ones are deal goes through or deal goes through with concessions related specifically to Call of Duty and Game Pass. Um, maybe xCloud uh, at the same time. Uh, as Darnell says here, this is the real life console wars. And yeah, I didn't expect this to happen from a corporate standpoint. All right, let's look at the document Again, Microsoft is a global technology company founded in 1975 and headquartered in Redmond, Washington. Microsoft is publicly listed on NASDAQ. Microsoft's global turnover in the financial year 2021 was close to 125 billion pounds, of which clip was generated in the UK. Microsoft is organized into three operating segments, productivity and business, intelligent cloud, and personalized computing. Microsoft offers a wide range of products and services, including Windows OS. Azure, which is probably a little bit more important than Windows for this conversation, which is a public cloud platform and associated services, 
offering 200 infrastructure as a service and platform as a service solutions, including computing, storage, networking, databases, operating systems, developer tools, and runtimes. Example of games that run on Azure PlayFab, which is a back-end platform for live games, include Minecraft, Forza Horizon, Doom Eternal, and Microsoft Flight Simulator, as well as third-party games like Roblox, Astroneer, and Wasteland 3. Uh, Wasteland 3, I believe, is first party now. Somebody can correct me on that, uh, but I think that might be a small error from the CMA. Xbox Cloud Gaming. Microsoft currently offers cloud gaming, uh, cloud-based game streaming through Xbox Cloud Gaming, which is composed of dedicated Xbox consoles located in Microsoft data centers. This is distinct from Azure. Microsoft has deployed around Clip Xbox servers worldwide across its data centers to provide Xbox Cloud Gaming. It is Clip. I'm going to go with Rad. I think they clipped out the word rad. Xbox is Microsoft's gaming console. It connects to a television or other display and allows users to play games specifically developed for Xbox. First launched in 2001 and has since remained one of the three main gaming consoles in the market. Again, poor one out for Sega. Xbox Game Studios is an active developer, publisher, and distributor of games. Microsoft publishes games for PCs, consoles, and mobile devices, a collection of 24 first-party development studios, including the recently acquired ZeniMax Studios. Examples include Minecraft, Forza, Elder Scrolls, and Halo. Digital distribution, Microsoft distributes games in digital form, operates the Microsoft Store on Windows, an app store on Windows PCs, through which it distributes its own first-party games and third-party games for PCs, as well as an Xbox-branded storefront, which can be accessed via the Xbox console, a web browser, or the Xbox app. Finally, Microsoft offers multi-game subscription services that include access to first- and third-party games, such as Xbox Live Gold uh-huh, and Xbox Game Pass, online multiplayer capabilities, Live and Live Gold, and cloud gaming functionality, cloud gaming, which I still call xCloud, as you can probably hear, which is available as part of the Xbox Game Pass top-tier subscription and on a free-to-play basis with Fortnite. That's Microsoft. Activision is a game developer and publisher founded in 2008 and headquartered in Santa Monica, California, U.S. It's publicly listed on NASDAQ, has turnover of $6 billion. And what does it do? It develops and publishes video games. It digitally distributes video games. And it operates digital display advertising within some of its game content, particularly within those mobile games. Got to have that Got to have that mobile ad in there. Uh, and King is very good at monetizing it. Microsoft and Activision are tr- collectively referred to as the parties or for statements referring to the future, the merged entity. <clears throat> Here's the transaction itself, which we probably can uh, look at with a little bit of a skim. On 18 January 2022, Microsoft and Activision entered into a deal. Microsoft agreed to pay $95 per share for a total purchase price of just under $69 billion. The parties informed the CMA that the merger is also the subject of review by competition authorities in a number of other jurisdictions, including Australia, Brazil, SNP. Why are we snipping jurisdictions? The EU, Japan, SNP, South Korea, and the US. The parties told the CMA that the Microsoft's rationale for the merger is... To provide Microsoft with gaming content, including popular Activision Blizzard King franchises like Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and Candy Crush Saga, which will help Microsoft to execute a cross-platform strategy allowing gamers to play games on multiple devices. That's that's Phil and his blog saying we want more gamers playing in more places. Improve Microsoft's presence in the mobile gaming segment, which ABK holds an established position in, particularly through King. Support Microsoft's investments in its multi-game subscription service, Game Pass, and improve user engagement adoption amongst Xbox and PC users. Improve Microsoft's ability to create a universal store 
extending the Xbox digital storefront across non-Xbox platforms and devices like TVs and increase the attractiveness of Microsoft's advertising business. Microsoft's internal documents broadly support the rationale stated above with a particular focus on acquiring a broad range of differentiated gaming content to help scale Game Pass. That's self-evident for anybody that's been following the industry, and I don't think that there's anything wrong here, but you'll also see that these kinds of strategies will be used by the CMA to suggest that they might just foreclose uh, instant sales for Call of Duty in in advantaging the Game Pass product. They're going to do this phase one review. They've got jurisdiction over this phase one review. We can definitely skip those. And then the counterfactual, as we saw referenced with respect to Facebook and Giphy, this is where the CMA does some hypothesizing of its own. The CMA assesses a merger's impact relative to the situation that would prevail absent the merger, i.e. the counterfactual. For anticipated mergers, the counterfactual may consist of the prevailing conditions of competition or conditions of competition that involve stronger or weaker competition between the merger firms than under the prevailing conditions of competition. Does that sentence make any sense to you folks? Uh, it basically says they can decide what it means. Uh, the CMA can decide it means exactly the same as if the merger had not occurred, or it can take into account other conditions that are basically hypothesized as if the merger had not occurred, but other things changed. Uh, and that's the counterfactual. In determining the appropriate counterfactual, the CMA will generally focus only on potential changes to the prevailing conditions of competition, where there are reasons to believe that those changes would make a material difference to its competitive assessment. The CMA also seeks to avoid predicting the precise details or circumstances that would have arisen absent the merger. For example, the CMA might assess the likelihood that one of the merger firms would have entered or significantly expanded, but not the precise characteristics of the product or service it would have introduced or the level of sales it would have achieved. We can hypothesize all sorts of stuff, but we're not going to hold ourselves to like dirty things like quantification. The party submitted that the relevant counterfactual against which to assess the merger is the prevailing conditions of competition. The CMA has not received any evidence that indicates it should base its assessment on a counterfactual other than those prevailing conditions, and so we're not going to use our special powers. The parties also submitted that the CMA depart from this counterfactual at certain points in the competitive assist assessment on the basis that the CMA speculates that certain changes may occur in Activision's product offerings. However, the CMA's conclusion on the counterfactual does not seek to ossify the market at a particular point in time. And an assessment based on the prevailing conditions of competition can reflect that, absent the merger, a merger firm would have continued making investments and improvements, innovations, or new products. So this sounds like what happens is Microsoft and Activision go and say, we were going under, boss. We were having all sorts of problems. Did you take a look at what we were dealing with? You should take that into account. You shouldn't just give us credit for where we were the moment they decided to buy us. And the CMA says, well, you know what? That position isn't held in fossilized form. And so we can assume you would have continued to expend money and try to survive as Activision. So we're not going to do that. Therefore, the CMA considers that the prevailing conditions of competition in this case include strategies and innovations in the gaming industry, including the emergence of that multi-game subscription and cloud gaming services as discussed further below. The CMA considers the discussion around potential improvements, innovations, or new products, which might have occurred as part of the prevailing conditions of competition absent the merger is most properly addressed within the competitive assessment. Well, we're going to assume that Activision would have done some new stuff and it would have been great. The CMA therefore considers that the relevant counterfactual is the prevailing conditions of competition. However, the CMA considers the dynamic nature of aspects of the gaming industry as part of its competitive assessment. Boom. We're, we're looking for the magic word dynamic, folks. Looking at Facebook, Meta, Giphy, 
We're looking for dynamic because dynamic is what the tribunal has already said. The CMA has a great deal of discretion to establish. And the CMA here in paragraph 55 says, we're not going to be held to just what it looks like if they hadn't gotten together and try to figure that out. We can also look at dynamic markets like video gaming and video gaming alternatives and basically make whatever conclusion that we want. Background. The party submitted that gaming is the fastest growing portion of the media and entertainment sector. It's already bigger than a bunch of stuff. By revenue, the UK is the largest video game market in Europe and the sixth largest gaming market worldwide. Having grown year on year for the past decade, the gaming industry is currently the UK's highest grossing form of entertainment at 7 billion pounds in revenue. The way in which games are distributed has changed over the past few years. Games were previously available on things like cartridges, hey, CD-ROM, in brick and mortar stores, but that's not the way it is. Now it's all this digital distribution and we got these subscription services. Heck, you don't even need to have it on your console anymore. You can just download it off the cloud. And that's where the CMA is going to fight its fight. Today, the gaming industry is going through two important and closely related transitions. The first is a shift towards cloud gaming services. Historically, the gaming industry has been organized around a limited set of devices optimized for gaming, consoles and gaming PCs in particular, which are expensive and relatively infrequent purchases. Console generations are released years apart. The emergence of cloud gaming technology provides an additional delivery mechanism that allows gamers to stream games running on hardware in a data center to their choice of device. Rather than downloading the game, gamers access and play the games through a lightweight middleware app on their device. Cloud gaming means that gamers can play more technologically complex games on less powerful devices such as mobile devices that would otherwise lack the computing power or storage to support those games. Enter the switch. Although the evidence shows that cloud gaming continues to face challenges such as slow internet speeds in some regions and latency issues during gameplay, Experts consider that the industry is at an inflection point where cloud gaming technology will become feasible for most game titles in the foreseeable future. You know, sometimes I criticize legal weasel words here in this space. Experts, unnamed experts, think that the industry is at an inflection point where games will become feasible at some point in the foreseeable future. Not popular, not really great playing. They will become feasible at some point. Okay. Yes, I think we all hope that, right? I, we all want to live in a technologically uh, progressed world. However, this is a very weak kind of uh, statement here. And, and footnote 43 uh, doesn't help them other than for third-party responses to their cloud gaming questionnaire. The expectation is that cloud gaming will grow significantly and in time potentially become the primary delivery mechanism for gaming content. I'll believe that when I see it. The second transition is a shift from buy to play to multi-game subscription services. Games have traditionally been sold under the buy-to-play model, whereby customers pay a one-time upfront fee for each individual game. With the emergence of multi-game subscription services, gamers are now able to access a curated catalog of games, which they can download to their device or stream from a cloud gaming service provider. While most of the revenue in the industry continues to be generated from the purchase of individual games, multi-game subscription services are growing rapidly. And the potential growth of this market has attracted several rivals to establish their own multi-game subscription services offerings, including Sony, Amazon, Apple, and... Google. Some of these multi-game subscription services offer a combination of downloads and streaming, example Game Pass, while others focus on streaming only, example, again, Google Stadia. The number of games across all multi-game subscription services that are available to stream from cloud gaming services is rapidly increasing. The CMA considers that this shift towards cloud gaming and multi-game subscription services represents an opportunity to reshape the competitive landscape in the gaming industry, and we're just the agency to do it. Microsoft submitted that it has lost the console wars to Sony and Nintendo with each generation of consoles. Uh, well, maybe. Again, if we're keeping Nintendo in 
the list of consoles, that might be true that Microsoft always loses to one of them. If Nintendo is separate and we shouldn't be looking at them in the market, certainly Microsoft has beaten Sony before. You need to look no further than kind of the Xbox versus PlayStation 3 era. Uh, so we're kind of taking data points that we like from both sides of the equation right now. And that's not great. Microsoft explained that it launched XGP in large part as a response to Xbox's lack of success in the console wars. I love, by the way, that a legal document from a major regulatory agency that can stop a $70 billion deal, or at least try to, is using the phrase console wars. The CMA considers that Microsoft is in a unique position to take advantage of the shift towards cloud gaming and multi-game subscription services. Gaming content attracts users to a platform, which in turn generates the revenues required to create more content and encourage third-party game developers to create games for that platform. This self-reinforcing mechanism makes it harder for new entrants without a large user base or good pre-existing content to enter the market. The merger would significantly expand Microsoft's gaming library, adding some of the world's best-selling and most recognizable franchises. This would leave Microsoft as the only supplier with one, the leading PC operating system, which I'm not sure why that matters, two, one of the world's leading cloud services platforms. They know they can't say it's the biggest because it's not. And three, one of the strongest gaming libraries and user bases. Yeah, it sounds like they've positioned themselves to compete in the marketplace, but here we are. Frame of reference, market definition provides a framework for assessing the competitive effects of a merger. The assessment of the relevant market is an analytical tool that forms part of the analysis of the competitive effects of the merger and should not be viewed as a separate exercise. The boundaries of the market do not determine the outcome of the analysis of the competitive effects of the merger. <laughs> Seriously, though, go to an economics class or go to a law and economics class. And, and the very first thing they will tell you with respect to markets and antitrust is that 98% of the analysis is done by figuring out what the market is and that you can move a competitive to an anti-competitive or vice versa by changing the bounds of that market. As it is recognized that there can be constraints on merging parties from outside the relevant market, segmentation within the relevant market, or other ways in which some constraints are more important than others. The CMA will take these factors into account. In this case, as in other digital markets, the relevant products are complex and include recent and future potential developments. Demand for gaming products can vary considerably between gamers, and there are complexities in how customers make decisions. The choices available to customers depend on whether they already own a gaming device or if they are planning to buy one. In addition, different customer characteristics mean that some customers may consider a broader range of choices than others. For example, some gamers may prefer complex games that require considerable time and skill and have historically been played on consoles. Others may prefer simpler games that can be played casually for short periods of time on a range of devices, whilst another group may prefer a mix of both. Where possible, the CMA has accounted for these factors in the discussion of frame of reference which follows. However, the CMA notes that a single frame of reference may not always capture the true competitive interactions between different providers and where this is the case, these are discussed in the competitive assessment. Sounds complicated. The potential issues under analysis in this case relate in various ways to how competition between the parties and their rivals will dynamically evolve over time, in particular in relation to multi-game subscription and cloud gaming services. So this is an important kind of note, right? When we talk about Brazil, which is the only other real assessment that we have seen, one of the things they do is they say, look, it's not an issue right now. We cannot project into the future what streaming is going to do, what subscription services are going to do. We have questions about whether they're separate markets anyway, but we're not in the business of looking into that crystal ball and going six, seven, eight, nine assumptions down the line. CMA says that's our job. CMA says, no, we are supposed to go and look at the dynamically changing market and try to assume what's going to happen with these technologies, what's going to happen in the future, all of these various things. That is a philosophical difference 
And you or I might have an opinion as to which one of those is right. I've already expressed mine. I think Brazil is closer to how I would see antitrust otherwise enforced. But the CMA here is going and saying, we're going to have to project what's going to happen in the video game industry to determine whether or not we're okay with the deal. And the major problem with that, the reason I prefer the Brazil approach to questions like this one is that it does require this kind of prognostication. They have no idea whether they're right about what video game looks like tomorrow, let alone in three years or five years or 10 years. Uh, and that means that you should be careful with this very, very powerful tool that you have to stop, curtail, or otherwise change these massive deals and the fortunes of so many uh, when you're looking at this question. In its assessment of the impact of the merger on competition, it, the CMA, will consider evidence on concentration measures alongside evidence of closeness of competition. This involves assessing the strength of the current and likely future constraints between the products of the parties and the rivals. Evidence on concentration and on closeness of competition can be interpreted and taken into account without the need for a precise definition of the relevant markets. Feels. Accordingly, the CMA's analysis does not seek to conclude on a bright line definition of the relevant markets, but instead describes the competitive framework within which the parties and their rivals operate. What's a market really? In this case, the CMA found that gaming platforms are two-sided with users on one side and content providers on the other. You got your gamers, you got the people that make the games, and they go through gaming platforms. In its frame of reference, the CMA has assessed each side of the market separately, focusing primarily on the user side of the market, gamers, where the competitive concerns in the merger arise. The CMA has considered both sides of the market in its competitive assessment, including the impact of direct and indirect network effects. All right, we're going to look at product scope in just a minute. I'm giving my voice a little bit of a break here. <clears throat> and we'll see if we can't pick up some questions and some super chats uh, that we might have otherwise missed here already. Uh, we just did that one, so we're good there. Just because this legitimately sounds like they're doing those future problem-solving competitions I was forced into in middle school. I don't know those. You mean like the world is going to burn down by an asteroid and how do you solve it now here in 2022 or something along those lines? I don't know future problem-solving competitions. So that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it's, as you can see, even if you were to agree with the CMA's kind of outcome or assessment, it's pretty removed from what we usually consider, you know, legal analysis, uh, which is looking at something directly in front of you. And this is part and parcel to any antitrust analysis. You're going to have to think about what things look like if the merger weren't going to go through. Uh, but the further afield you get from what it is right now, I think, one, the more power you give to your regulator, because honestly, you can justify most anything from a futurist standpoint. And two, you really allow them to go and have flights of fancy that are very difficult to kind of fight against because we think this is going to happen if the merger doesn't go through five years from now. What do you say to that? I'm here from five years in the future. It didn't happen. You can try. Uh, oh, Ian's here. Hey, Ian. I hope you're doing great. Uncle the Bailey is in the house somewhere in chat. Lots of chats right now, so I don't see him. Uh, but say hi to Ian for me. Midnight Dreary, no question. Just a small token of thanks. Well, thank you, Midnight Jury. That is very nice of you. I really appreciate it. We're having fun, aren't we? We're at paragraph 70, paragraph 71 or so. We got a second document after this, folks. I told you. Is in it for the long haul. I think we got like 666 people in chat, so that's ominous. It's fun. Ian's here lurking. Say hi to Ian. Ian will have his own comments. I would be willing to bet. Let's go forward into more paragraphs. 
So what does Microsoft do? They do PCs, consoles, and mobile devices. They manufacture and sell dedicated gaming consoles under their Xbox brand. Activision does not manufacture things. The parties submitted that they are separate markets for the manufacture and supply of that hardware. In particular, the parties explained that mobile devices lack the technological capabilities to play most PC and console games, and only a small portion of PC and console games are also available as native mobile apps. Yeah, I think I think you could separate PCs and consoles from mobile uh, as gaming markets. The CMA acknowledges that a subgroup of gamers may consider a number of different devices suitable for their gaming requirements. However, it considers that for a large group of gamers... The unique experience offered by each device in terms of hardware capabilities and convenience, as well as the difference in quality and range of content available, is likely to mean that these devices would not be considered as substitutable. The CMA also notes the lack of substitutability on the supply side. Yeah, in general, mobile games and, and console games, not, not great substitutes, but reasonable minds can differ even there. I want to play a game. I got my phone on me or I want to play a game. I'm going to go grab my Switch or my Xbox or my PlayStation. Those reasonable minds can differ. In addition, the CMA notes that PCs, consoles, and mobile devices are generally considered separate in the party's internal documents. That's pretty useful to them. The CMA has also seen third-party reports that also consider them separately. Several third parties told the CMA that the dynamics of competition differ between consoles and PCs. One third party told the CMA that different device categories are suited to different types of game. Yeah, that's true. The CMA has considered whether the frame of reference should be further segmented by console type, Whilst it recognizes that buying a gaming device such as a console is a high-cost investment, gaming consoles are not what I would describe as cheap, but generally when you're talking about mergers and high cost, you're talking about things like high-grade pharmaceuticals and cars and appliances and things. I would not describe a console as high cost in the grand scope of the world. It considers that the, the most important aspect of competition for this case is that for the next generation consoles where customers would be making fresh choices about which console to buy. So we have to project into the next generation, which I hate to tell the CMA, it may not exist. We have no idea what's going to happen with respect to the Xbox brand. They just consider you to make kind of the new iPhone. We don't know what Sony's going to do. They are rapidly trying to catch up to Xbox and what their move was over the last generational transition. What does it look like? I don't know. The CMA doesn't know. Based on this evidence, the CMA considers that there are significant differences between PCs, consoles, and mobile devices, and it is appropriate to distinguish between the manufacturer and supply of each. So again, if you are a regulator and you're looking to do something against a deal, you're going to try to get that denominator as small as possible. Rather than treating PCs and consoles the same as Brazil did, you look at this and say they're separate because there's another chance. There's another bite at the apple. There's another swing that we can make because maybe... <clears throat> the interest in a given market that has that smaller denominator is large enough that we can just point to it and say, Microsoft is going to be a, a market controller. Uh, and we can just go off of that. We already talked about the definition of cloud-based gaming uh, services. We talked about xCloud. Uh, the parties told the CMA that they do not consider that there is a separate market for cloud gaming services, i.e. downloads versus streaming, because gamers choose a gaming experience based on whether it provides enjoyment at an attractive price point not based on the location of the content or means of delivery. The parties are correct. CMA's assessment, however, is a little bit different. The CMA notes that this is a dynamic area in which competition is still evolving and that the precise boundaries of the market may change as the market continues to develop. The CMA considers that the parties' submissions fail to recognize the impact of cloud gaming services on demand for consoles, PCs, and games. As the parties do recognize, cloud gaming allows gamers to stream games from a server on any device. This means that gamers can access games that were previously available only on console through a wider range of less powerful devices like TVs. 
The parties acknowledged that cloud gaming services could be attractive to a different pool of customers who do not have access to the current hardware required for playing more complicated games and will lower the barriers for certain gamers to access titles. The CMA notes that as hardware technology develops and cloud gaming services grow, hardware distinctions may become less important in the future. As such, the CMA considers that cloud gaming services can be seen as an alternative for gamers to owning a con console or a PC. From a supply side perspective, cloud gaming services are very different from console gaming. To offer cloud gaming services, a provider needs access to cloud infrastructure. It also requires access to the operating system that supports the games on the user's device. Console gaming, by contrast, requires the manufacturer distribution and ongoing support of those physical devices. The evidence that the CMA received is generally consistent with cloud gaming services being a separate market. I have nothing good to say about that determination. Um, I find it to be wildly inaccurate. <laughs> Uh, cloud gaming services are not a separate market for the purposes of discussing whether Microsoft should buy Activision. You can make all the cases that you want in the world that, yes, somebody on a smart TV direct from Walmart can potentially play Xbox games, and that might change the calculation of whether people buy Xboxes. What in the world does that have to do with the price of tea in China? What does that have to do with whether Microsoft can purchase Activision? And the answer is it doesn't. It doesn't have anything to do with that, except that the CMA is going to try to make this big, broad assertion that they can take X Cloud and they can exclude everyone else because they have Azure servers and they have Call of Duty. And that's all it's going to take to establish their footing in this completely separate market from consoles, except that if there's substitutability, which there is between cloud delivery services, subscription delivery services, and buy to play services through consoles or otherwise, then you don't have to worry about what the cloud service provider can actually do because they don't have real market power because of that substitutability. The CMA tries to have its cake and eat its two with this kind of crap. And that's what results. And that's where I think you see people get mad. I think that's where you see Microsoft get mad because they'll do the same thing with subscription services. The CMA notes that several providers offer cloud gaming services as part of a multi-game subscription service, including Microsoft, Sony, Google, Ubisoft, and Amazon. The CMA considers, however, that this is not a necessary feature of cloud gaming services and that it is technically possible to provide cloud gaming as part of a different product offering, such as on a buy-to-play basis. The CMA considers the market for multi-game subscription services separately below. Uh, then we've got the Windows OS here. Uh, the parties say OSs compete at the device level between PC devices. <clears throat> the party submitted there are various other computer OSs available. The CMA considers that PC and mobile OSs are different frames of reference. No third party contacted by the CMA considered that the two are substitutes. As for the distinction between Windows Server and Windows Client, the evidence is mixed on whether they should form part of the same frame of reference. The CMA notes that party submissions that Windows Client and Windows Service License OS products SNP and that each are optimized for their specific use. And if you're wondering, like I am, exactly where we're going with this, it is altogether unclear. Based on the evidence, the CMA has assessed the merger based on separate frames of references for PC and mobile OSs. That's justified. The CMA did not have to conclude on whether there are separate frames of references for client and server OSs, since these features of the market can be adequately taken into account just in the assessment itself. Game publishing. Game development refers to the creation of the game. Game publishing refers to the subsequent making available to the public for sale or free of that game for the purposes of the decision and in line with the party submissions, the CMA has considered development publishing activities jointly under the single term publishing. And that's the same thing Brazil did, that these are functionally the same type of process. So we can look at that market together. The party submitted that the CMA should consider an overall market for game publishing. They also submitted, however, the technical differences between mobile and PC consoles lead to the development of different co gaming content in each. 
The CMA has seen evidence to support a market segmentation by device type. Market, Microsoft's stated rationale for the merger is in part to increase its presence in gaming and mobiles. The party's share of supply vary between publishing gaming for PCs, consoles, and mobile. And the party games are often published on only one form of the hardware. Third parties support the view that there are material differences between publishing games for each of PC, console, and mobile device. One third party stated that mobile devices have those physical limitations. A number of third parties told the CMA that they require software development kits from console original equipment manufacturers to publish those games, which is not a requirement for PC games. And another third party explained that certain consoles have hardware limitations that PCs do not, and they have different hardware, uh, which limits their ability to publish PC games on console. The CMA received mixed evidence on whether the market for gaming publishing should be segmented by genre. Several of the party's internal documents indicate that the parties categorize, distinguish, and compare games from different publishers according to genre. The parties also advertise games by genre in their digital storefronts. Some third parties explain that certain game genres compete more closely with each other than with games from different genres. <clears throat> can you imagine if movie mergers were evaluated by how many science fiction movies you made? That's the equivalent here. Now, the CMA, I don't think, is going to commit to this, but we'll find out. On the other hand... The CMA received evidence suggesting that the importance of genre as a means of segmenting games has decreased in recent years. One third party told the CMA that many popular games have adopted elements of multiple genres. Yeah, everybody's got an RPG bar now. And games often compete across genre for the attention of gamers. Other third parties told the CMA that factors beyond genre may lead to titles competing closely, such as release date or popularity of the gaming franchise. Based on this evidence, the CMA has assessed the merger based on separate frames of reference for game publishing on mobile console and PC. Notes as hardware technology develops and cloud gaming services grow, hardware distinctions may become less important. As for game genre, the CMA did not have to reach a conclusion on the precise product frame of reference as it found that its competitive assessment would not change regardless of whether the market for game publishing is segmented by genre, which is good because segmenting it by genre is, is pretty crazy. With respect to distribution, games are predominantly distributed individually from physical retail stores or as a collection of games via multiple game subscription services, which allow gamers to access a game catalog for a fixed period for a fee, typically referring, uh, replaying monthly, the parties are both active in game distribution on digital storefronts. Microsoft operates the Microsoft Store and the Xbox Store. Activision is active through Battle.net, although it does not currently distribute third-party games. Seems like a relevant distinction there, but who am I? The parties told the CMA that individual game distribution and multi-game subscription services form part of a single distribution market for video games. In relation to multi-game subscription services, the parties told the CMA that Multi-game subscription services are not an alternative channel of distribution for gaming content. They are just an alternative pricing model. Gamers on Microsoft's multiple game subscription services can interact with gamers playing games on the same platform, even if they are accessing the game outside of the multi-game subscription service. There is direct competitive interaction between buy-to-play and subscription services, and gamer behavior suggests that multi-game subscription services are part of the same market. For example, internal Microsoft analysis shows Clip, in gamers' base game purchases 12 months following subscription to Microsoft's multi-game service. This is what we've seen before from Xbox. They say that the one fuels the other. The CMA considers that multi-game subscription services are a different product proposition to traditional digital single-game purchases. Under a multi-game subscription service, gamers can access a bundle of games during a period of time for a fixed fee. The drivers of demand in that context are the price of the bundle, the range of the content, and the quality of the individual titles. By contrast, when accessing games through digital storefronts, gamers typically pay a higher upfront price for a single game. Although stores can monetize games using a range of methods like in-app purchases, gamers typically have unlimited access to the game after the purchase. 
the drivers of demand in that context are the price and quality of the individual game. It's very similar drivers there, CMA. Third parties told the CMA that the business model for multi-game subscription services is very different from storefronts. True. There are certain groups of customers who will only purchase individual games as they wish to quote unquote own the titles. We've talked about licenses here, folks. And C, each mode of distribution will likely suit different types of games and gamers. And I did skip one paragraph. On the supply side, several of the party's internal documents suggest that whilst there is some overlap, the competitor set forth for multi-game subscription services is different from that of digital storefronts. Multi-game subscriptions are a nascent but rapidly growing area. Whilst the CMA acknowledges the party submissions that there is a degree of diversion from buy-to-play purchases towards multi-game subscription services, the evidence shows that at least at present, there is an insufficient demand or supply-side substitution between the two for to be appropriate to assess them as a single frame of reference. As such, and on a cautious basis, the, CMU, the CMA considers that it is appropriate to assess the impact of the merger on video game distribution via digital storefronts and multi-game subscription services separately. As I said, if you wanted to get your nose into this deal, you would find that cloud services and subscription services were separate markets to the overall video game market. Again, I disagree with this entirely, and I don't even think the CMA makes its case very well here. There's just insufficient substitution. Really? Really? I don't believe you. Honestly, you get games one way or the other. I have clearly substituted my purchase prices individually as one piece of data based on what is available to me in Game Pass, having Game Pass and purchasing games through digital storefronts. The notion that they are not substitutions for each other is, in my view, patently absurd, and it makes the case that the CMA needs to make. So this looks to me like a politically motivated kind of finding so that they could determine that the marketplace was controlled by Microsoft, that the cloud gaming marketplace is controlled by them, that the subscription service marketplace is controlled by them. And despite what you heard in earlier paragraphs that, well, the market definition doesn't set the assessment, it 100% does, especially in a case like this one. And I think Microsoft is right to be upset about the CMA saying this. I don't believe they have the sufficient proof for this. I suspect, I have not read every detail, that Microsoft's response will go into this more fulsomely. Paragraph 112. The CMA also considered whether to segment multi-game subscription services by each type of device and cloud gaming. The CMA found that almost every multi-game subscription service already allows gamers to access some proportion of their gaming catalog across different devices. This includes Game Pass and PlayStation Plus, which include a console and a cloud gaming element, services like Apple Arcade, which allows users to download gaming content to a variety of devices, and Luna and Stadia, which allows gamers to stream their games to a range of devices. The CMA considers that multi-game subscription services are continuing to evolve and may appeal more strongly to gamers who are device agnostic than to gamers who have a strong preference for console gaming. As such, the CMA considers that it is appropriate to use a single frame of reference for multi-game subscription services without segmenting by device type. Well, good of you to not narrow it that far. Given that the buy-to-play market is not experiencing the same dynamics as the multi-game subscription market, the CMA considers it appropriate to assess game distribution of buy-to-play titles via digital storefronts for each of the consoles, PCs, and mobile separately. All right, before we get into geographic scope, I said a lot right there, and so did the CMA, right? They have determined that cloud gaming is its own market. They have determined that subscription services is its own market. I suspect some of you might have some thoughts on that. So please do leave a question, all caps, leave a super chat, whatever it is that it takes to get my attention. But please do talk to me a little bit about it 
Uh, so I can rest my voice before we dive deep into paragraph, what are we on, 114 of this, the CMA's document. Eric the Beard says, CMA's killing it. I don't know if he means the deal or if they're doing really well. It's hard to tell. Tone is difficult in text, certainly. Apple Pie says, Hoag swore. Did I? I think I said crap. Is, it, is that swearing? I don't know. Who knows what I'm saying? <laughs> Just because says, this is starting to sound like something out of the IT crowd as well. Uh, Raphael says, yeah, but even Google did not try to separate the market. I really haven't found any third party that has said the market should be separate. Uh, Super 7X, do you think the Microsoft Store will ever be overhauled to be competitive with Steam? I don't know. I, you know, you only have a limited amount of resources and will to move in different directions. I think all the focus is on Game Pass right now, and I don't know what they'll do with their storefront eventually. Uh, what else do we have here? I don't think we actually have any questions. So we'll just dive deep. I think there is some consternation about whether or not these are separate markets because we can see the writing on the wall, which is when you make them separate markets, it's much easier to claim that Microsoft is a monopolist or market controller of those separated markets. Here at Hour 2, I do also want to flag, if you do like this content, please do check out our Utreon, our Patreon, our YouTube subscriptions. Hit the like button, please. I really appreciate it. Or check out our store. We've got all sorts of fun stuff uh, for you to check out. Now, let's talk about the geographic scope. The parties submitted that their products and services are available on a global basis, including in the UK. For each of the product frames of reference considered above, the parties submitted the following. In respect of PCs and consoles, the geographic market is at least wider than the UK, including the European economic area, if not worldwide. The market for cloud gaming services is worldwide. For game publishing, the relevant markets are worldwide. For digital distribution, the geographic market is worldwide. Yep. The parties did not make any submissions on the geographic frame of reference for design and supply of computer OSs. Don't know why it would have come up. For each of the product frames of reference under consideration, the parties generally provided shares of supply on both a worldwide and UK basis. The CMA notes that in each of the product frames of references under consideration, the suppliers present in the area are generally active across a broader geographic region than just the UK. The CMA also found evidence suggesting that these markets may have a national dimension. The market shares provided by the parties show material differences between the UK and global shares, suggesting differences in the competitive landscape by geography. In particular, the merged entity generally has higher shares of supply in the UK as compared to worldwide. For example, in 2021, the parties estimate Microsoft's share of supply of console hardware by sales volume to be in the 10 to 20 range globally, but it's in the 20 to 30 range in the UK. Similarly, in 2021, the parties estimate the merged entity's combined share of supply for console game publishing was 10 to 20 globally and 10 to 20 in the UK. In addition, the CMA has seen some evidence of differential availability of services in local markets, including the Game Pass offering. Further, in relation to Xbox Live Gold, Microsoft's website explains that to ensure that pricing for Live Gold subscription service reflects local market, Live Gold subscription cards are only redeemable in the country in which they are purchased. As such, while recognizing that there are multinational aspects to competition in each of these product frame of reference, there is also evidence of regional and national variations in supply and demand. The CMA therefore considers it is appropriate on a cautious basis to assist to assess the impact of the merger in these product frames of reference in the UK. However, we're relevant, it has taken account of the broader global context and evidence that is not specific to the UK in the competitive assessment. Again, the CMA might have a different opinion on what is cautious than Microsoft and Activision do, right? They keep taking the conservative approach, which may or may not be appropriate from whatever direction you're coming from on this. 
but it also obviously allows them to be more activist in whatever kind of rules they're going to say Microsoft and Activision are breaking if it comes to it at the phase two level. So they're cautious, they're conservative uh, in how they are interpreting their antitrust laws and say in any case where there might be a gray area, we'll assume that it's the worst for the deal itself. CMA preliminaries conclusion on the frame of reference. This is just going to go about what we said. Uh, PCs, consoles, and mobile are separate. Cloud gaming services are separate. Uh, computer OSs are separate. Publishing in those uh, specific areas, PCs, consoles, and mobile are separate. Distribution is separate. And then subscription services are separate as well. So we finally made it. We made it to paragraph 120. This is just the throat clearing stage of what this government agency has done. And believe me, be thankful we didn't actually go through things like the actual Facebook and Giphy determination by the CMA because I believe it was 433 pages long. I would have died here on stream. And so we're here in the middle of this document. We're at page 28 of 76. In formulating theories of harm, or TOH, the CMA will consider how a merger might affect rivalry between firms seeking to win customers' business over time by offering them a better deal. The theories of harm will depend on the levels of the supply chain at which the merger firms operate, the links between the merger firms and their rivals, the nature of competition and how firms go about winning customers from each other, and any long-run dynamics in the relevant sectors. For some mergers, the CMA may consider several theories, sometimes affecting the same market. This is a weird sentence to put in the middle of your actual assessment. This sounds like it's from your handbook. The CMA will generally take a forward-looking approach to the assessment of any theories of harm, considering the effects of the merger both now and in the future. In this case, the CMA has assessed a number of theories of harm. In doing so, taking into account the nature of competition and market dynamics identified, the CMA has considered not only each individual theory of harm separately, but as will be outlined further below, also their interaction, so as to assess the potential impact of the merger in the round. The CMA notes that whilst discussed as part of its assessment of input foreclosure, the importance of network effects and Activision's content, and Call of Duty in particular, to gaming platforms is a common element across all theories of harm in this decision. And this is why the folks that are in favor of Microsoft and in favor of this deal going through have accused the CMA of effectively adopting Sony's position on this. When you see the reference to Call of Duty in particular. Input foreclosure of rivals using Activision's content. The concern with an input foreclosure theory of harm is that the merged entity may use its control of an important input to harm its downstream rivals' competitiveness. For example, by refusing to supply the input or by increasing the price or worsening the quality of the input supplied. This might then harm overall competition in the downstream market to the detriment of customers. We're going to make it hard on Sony. We're not going to give you our product. Or we're going to make it real bad. The merger would combine Microsoft, one of only three console gaming platform providers and a leading multi-game subscription service provider with ABK's strong and diversified catalog of game content, including Call of Duty, one of the world's largest gaming franchises. The merged entity's games would include some of the biggest and highest selling franchises across various genres. They then give examples of those. According to one of the party's competitors, the only category where Microsoft would not have a leading position would be in sports, where Electronic Arts has that strongest position. The CMA has assessed whether adding ABK's portfolio of games to Microsoft's broad and integrated offering would enhance Microsoft's ability to engage in total or partial foreclosure strategies. The CMA has considered whether the merger may lead to foreclosure in the following target markets. Console gaming platforms. The CMA uses this term to refer to gaming consoles and their digital storefronts together. Multi-game subscription services. Multi-game subscription services are available across consoles. We know what they are, CMA. You don't need to keep repeating yourself. The importance of network effects and ABK's content to gaming platforms are discussed below. So this is actually pretty funny. If we go back a couple of paragraphs, according to one of the party's competitors, the only category where Microsoft would not have a leading position uh, would be in sports. 
I don't think they have a leading position in role-playing games necessarily. It depends on what you like. Certainly not JRPGs. I don't think they have a leading position in over-the-shoulder third-party, third-person adventures. That seems to be dominated by Sony. I don't think they have a leading position in platformers. That's Nintendo. I don't think they have a leading position in strategic games. I mean, like, there's all sorts of things that you could get into here. Uh, but the CMA decided to use this sentence to say that Microsoft would just be an unstoppable juggernaut. Network effects. We already talked about this a little bit. Gaming platforms are two-sided. Two-sided markets are often characterized by network effects, where the value of the product for customers on one side of the platform depends on the volume of users on the same side. Uh, or on the other side. The CMA found that console gaming platforms, cloud gaming services, and multi-game subscription services are characterized by strong direct and indirect network effects. In terms of indirect network effects, the parties explain game publishers are more likely to develop content for a platform with a significant user base and in turn, a strong content library tracks more users to a platform. This checks out. One Microsoft internal document, for example, explains SNP. Another Microsoft internal document explains that Microsoft's gaming ecosystem creates SNP. The document goes on to illustrate a flywheel that shows SNP. Very useful for us reading on the outside, right? But we can imagine that Microsoft's internal documents say, you drive people to Game Pass, you get more things into Game Pass, you pay cheaper licensing fees, you get more people into Game Pass, you pay cheaper licensing fees. And you can see how that is supposed to work. Uh, and it undoubtedly works that way. In relation to direct network effects, the parties explain that gamers like to be on the same platform as their friends to play multiplayer games. One Microsoft internal document explains that SNP. Likewise, one Activision internal document shows that SNP. The document explains SNP. One third party submitted that leading AAA games have multiplayer functionality and have become social media platforms, and that as a result, established AAA video games benefit from significant network effects, which raise barriers to entry for new games and new developers. Sometimes <laughs> the CMA found that multi-game subscription services, which is the most common pricing structure for cloud gaming services, also require considerable scale to be successful, which increases barriers to entry into this market. One of Microsoft's internal documents, for example, does some snipping. The CMA's merger assessment guidelines state that network effects generally mean that mergers are more likely to induce a tipping effect or accelerate the market towards tipping, whereas customers would have benefited from a longer period of competition. These guidelines also state that the presence of network effects means that barriers to entry are likely to be high and that incumbent platform operators that have market power derived from network effects may be able to amplify their effect. The CMA considers the evidence above to suggest that there are strong network effects present in gaming and that they are particularly important for competition in the context of nascent markets like multi-game subscription services and cloud gaming. You can see where they're going with this. Importance of Activision's catalog. Uh, Activision content lacks market power upstream as demonstrated by Activision's low shares of supply in game publishing. The publishing market is fragmented. A number of other publishers will continue to supply a wide range of content and that Call of Duty is not an important input. This is what the party said. The parties told the CMA that in upstream game publishing, Activision only had a share of about 5% globally, 5% in the UK, very low numbers, between 5 and 10 as we go through this paragraph. According to the parties, Activision's lack of market power upstream can be seen in its form from its share of console base uh, monthly active users, the parties estimate that Activision has a share of only 10% globally, while other publishers are equal or comparable scale, including EA, which has 10 to 20, Epic Games, which has 5 to 10, and Take-Two, with its share of 5 to 10, uh, are otherwise uh, also in that market. The party submitted that other rivals in game publishing have a greater or equivalent share of upstream publishing segment across all gaming platforms. These include EA, Nintendo, Take-Two, Ubisoft, Sony, Embracer, Square Enix, and Epic, together with a long tail of smaller publishers. Uh, and this is the parties all submitting. It's just not that big of a deal, right? 10 to 20, 10 to 20. 
There's some snippage here in paragraph 137. The party submitted that Xbox Gamer data shows that SNP of Xbox gamers did not play Call of Duty in a specific year. It's a great stat. I wish that wasn't snipped. According to the parties, amongst those gamers that do play Call of Duty, the majority only do so for a short period of time. We don't even know why we bought this CMA. I Nobody plays this game. In particular, among gamers who played at least one hour of Call of Duty, more than SNP played it for less than 5% of their total gaming time, and SNP of Call of Duty gamers spent less than 50% of their gaming time in the game. Hey, do you notice this little rhetorical flourish here? Um, if you're just basing it on the percentage of their total gaming time, that can be very, very reflective of what that total gaming time is, right? If you play 10 hours a year, that's one thing. If you play 1,000 hours per year, that's a completely different thing. You can guess which user is more valuable to the Microsofts and Activisions of the world. The parties further submitted that Call of Duty's popularity varies over time and does not equate to market power. The parties cite the example of Vanguard, which is that was not generally well-received and showed drops in purchases and player engagement. It was still one of the top games of the year. Parties submitted that compared to the revenues of previous COD titles like Modern Warfare and Black Ops Cold War, Vanguard achieved revenues that were SNP previous titles by its fourth month. The CMA believes that the party's internal documents show that Activision has one of the most important gaming franchises. One Activision internal document shows that Activision has six franchises generating revenues greater than SNP based on owned IP across platforms and demos, including Call of Duty, Candy Crush, World of Warcraft, Hearthstone, Overwatch, and Diablo. Blizzard doing its job, at least in number of franchises. Call of Duty. The party's internal documents consistently highlight the size and importance of Call of Duty across platforms. We've got another set of snipped stats here. ABK's internal documents also highlight the importance to Sony's PlayStation. The one internal document shows SNP and shows that Call of Duty remains SNP. It's probably rankings and revenue would be my guess. Another Activision internal document shows that Activision content played a pivotal role in the success of PlayStation and would continue to do so. The document explains that a six-year Call of Duty partnership between Sony and Activision helped to increase PlayStation 4's console share from SNP and Activision content drove around SNP PlayStation Plus engagement since the launch of PlayStation 4. The document concludes that Activision can have a large impact on Sony's gaming business in the next generation. So here's, here's an internal conversation that Activision has that the CMA thinks is very useful where they say, we provided this value to Sony that wouldn't be available if Call of Duty were foreclosed from Sony. Now, that does show that Xbox taking it away could hurt Sony. It doesn't show that Sony is crippled and unable to compete without it. We've got more snippage here. And then from a third-party view, the CMA has received third-party evidence to suggest that Activision's gaming catalog, in particular Call of Duty, is important and could make a material difference to gaming platforms. Is that, is that just Sony? kind of weird to not say it's just Sony when you're otherwise using Sony's name directly. So we'll, we'll have to put a pin in that. Several of the third parties that the CMA contacted during its investigation confirmed that Activision's content is important and would give Microsoft's gaming platforms a significant advantage. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. For example, some of Microsoft's competitors explained that Activision games are critical to competition in high-end gaming, that they have no meaningful substitute, and that the acquisition would give Microsoft an unrivaled position in the gaming industry leaving it with the greatest number of must-have games slash iconic franchises. This has to be Sony, right? Another competitor explained that Activision games constitute a significant share of overall spend and game time on its platform. This competitor also stated that having Activision games on its platform attracted gamers who then played against other gamers on the platform. Now, this is interesting. We know Call of Duty isn't on Switch. We have two competitors here. And so far as they say, one of the competitors says this stuff, Another competitor says this stuff. They both sound like Sony. 
So what is the other competitor that talks about moving things onto its platform? I don't know. I really don't honestly know the answer to that question. Um, and so this is part of the problem with not getting the full information. This is kind of a little bit of what uh, the CMA had to kind of move back on from what the tribunal told them. They were hiding too much stuff uh, from the parties that they were adjudicating. And it's interesting to try to guess at what those things are. I don't know that there are two platforms that are really so effective, but maybe you have some ideas in the chat. The CMA also saw an independent survey reported by YouGov, right, which polled 1,200 British adults and 1,200 U.S. adults in January of 2022. It showed that 29% of PlayStation gamers in the U.K. indicated that the inclusion of ABK games in XGP would make them consider subscribing to the service. Ideally, what you want to do in a competitive environment. The same was true for 26% of Nintendo gamers, 26% of PC gamers, and 20% of smartphone gamers. You can see all these numbers are higher for the U.S. than they are in the U.K. Overall, the YouGov report suggested that 48% of Xbox gamers in the UK would consider signing up for Game Pass if it included Activision games, while the CMA cannot comment on the robustness of this survey. Oh, it can comment on it. A YouGov survey? The results are consistent with the other evidence that the CMA has seen. You spend a paragraph on a, on a completely unreliable survey to just say, yeah, it matches what we already knew. Great. This is good. This is robust stuff, folks. The CMA received evidence indicating that Call of Duty is a particularly important game. Sony Interaction Entertainment? CMA, you want to take another crack at that one? Sony Interactive Entertainment, SIE, submitted to the CMA that COD has a large number of users on PlayStation and a significant portion of these gamers spent a majority of their time playing Call of Duty. Significant portion spent a majority of their time playing Call of Duty. Uh, okay doesn't really match up with what Microsoft says. I don't know that they're that different across platforms. Curious. Call of Duty is a particularly important revenue stream for PlayStation with the game having the highest awareness and ownership of all third-party franchises. The CMA understood from SIE that Call of Duty's fan base is very loyal towards the franchise and that having access to the COD franchise is likely to be a priority for a large number of players. SIE submitted to the CMA that if COD were exclusively available on Xbox and Game Pass, this could severely, adversely impact their ability to compete effectively can't compete effectively says sony where am i without call of duty i'm nowhere another competitor explained that call of duty had an indirect impact on its revenues as it attracted a larger gamer base who then purchased other games on their platform this in turn impacted the attractiveness of their platform to other publishers this competitor explained that successful games such as call of duty create network effects that draw awareness and traffic to smaller games the cma reviewed <clears throat> an independent 2019 report submitted by a competitor stating that COD had the most passionate fan base amongst top gaming brands that year. It explained that Call of Duty's significance to entertainment at large cannot be overstated. The brand was the only video game IP to make it into the top 10 of all entertainment brands among fanatics, joining powerhouses like Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, and The Lord of the Rings. The report goes on to explain that Call of Duty Modern Warfare had the biggest launch of 2019, earning over 600 million US dollars in just three days, marking the 12th year in a row that a Call of Duty game ranked as the best-selling game in its launch month. It's a very popular series, folks. Competitors also noted that very few game franchises can or could ever match Call of Duty success. I thought we were in the business of future prognostication here, CMA. You mean to tell me that in the history of the video game industry to come, Call of Duty will sit atop the perch forever and evermore? I can't believe that to be true. <laughs> 
Snip noted that no other game publisher has come close to replicating the success of Call of Duty, particularly in shooters. That's an important caveat. Clip also submitted that no other publisher can commit the same level of resources and expertise to game development. This is exactly Sony's answer to Brazil. And even if they could, Call of Duty is too entrenched for any rival to catch up. Another competitor explained that no game could substitute for Call of Duty and that it would be difficult to pinpoint a game that would be even a close alternative. We're going to get to the CMA's views in just a minute. But I, again, I got to take a break from my voice here. But all of that sounded like Sony, didn't it? I mean, we know Sony's answer. That all sounded like them talking to the CMA on this stuff. So what do you all think? Uh, do you think there's another party that is acting in concert with Sony? Why do you think that the CMA would call out what Sony Interaction Entertainment has to say in some instances and not in others? What's the goal there? Seems very confusing to me. Tristan asks a question. Sony just announced that Silent Hill 2 will be a PlayStation exclusive. Silent Hill 2, is, a, is, that, a, is that a remake? <laughs> See, this is what happens when you're on a big, long stream. Do you think Microsoft will use this as ammo for the case? I think Microsoft is as armed as it can be with Sony exclusives. I don't think they need extras to make that case for them. If the CMA chooses to view a publisher as distinct and subscription services as separate, I'm not sure that that makes any bit of a difference. <clears throat> uh, we, got this, we got the same question. Uh, Silent Hill 2 remaster is uh, Sony exclusive. Does that make them look bad? It doesn't make them look great. Uh, question, what is the current status of the Activision lawsuit? Still pending. The wheels of justice move slowly. Uh, question, Konami just dropped the whole video on demand instead of streaming uh, Silent Hill 2 remake uh, for 12 months of exclusivity, LOL. Yep, I see that this happened here at, at this point in time. Uh, is it true that Xbox can't buy a Japanese company because Japan wouldn't allow it? That is not true. You can always structure your deals to buy companies in other jurisdictions. might be more difficult than it is to buy domestically, but it, it can happen. Big pod question. Doesn't Sony have huge amounts of exclusive content, including some content from Activision? Absolutely, they do. Luke, can the CMA decision influence other jurisdictions? Do you see this going to court? The jurisdictions are going to determine things for their own. Uh, but whatever matches up with the determination that they make, they will likely use bits and pieces of whatever jurisdiction does that matching, right? We talked about that with respect to Brazil. If you really like where Brazil came out, then you might comment on the fact that they had some good thoughts about Nintendo and Call of Duty and some other things. You might use them in your own document and say, hey, as Brazil said, blah, 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 blah. If you like where the CMA is coming out, you might say, as the UK has already found, blah, 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 blah. So it's a little bit more politic than I'd, I'd like to admit uh, on these kinds of things. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, Ian's going to record. Good luck to you recording, Ian. We got more stuff from the CMA. Super Duper Man says this is going to damage Activision and Sony. It's possible. Question, does the FTC calling out the CMA for stopping the Mets and Giphy, Meta and Giphy merger, saying foreign countries shouldn't have a say in American companies merging, have an effect on the ABK deal? No. These regulators are sovereigns. They're part of the sovereign government of their, of their state. So uh, absolutely, you know, you can have differences of opinion as to how far the extension should go in these kinds of things. Um, does it affect things? I would argue that it does not. Um, and I haven't seen the FTC make that statement. Um, so maybe I could be pointed to that. In a separate context, uh, marked uh, ashamed. Got to leave real quick, but I would say one of the lessons is that not every lie is perjury. Okay. Yeah, I think some of these statements are certainly pretty close to uh, at least deceptive uh, in the way that they are framed. That has to be Google, says All Might. Certainly could be. Certainly could be Google, could be their platform, could be Stadia. That kind of thing. Um, certainly Google feels a little bit burned about this whole video game stuff right now. Uh, and it could be uh, Google, Android, people making that as their suggestion for the other platform in league with Sony. Uh, Google talked to the CMA. That's the other party. 
Um, seems like a possibility. Raiden Blade, what would happen if Activision told SIE that regardless of the outcome of the deal, you will have no access to any further marketing after the current contract? They absolutely could. If the deal falls through, they are in charge of their assets. They do have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that they maximize their assets for the purposes of their shareholders' value. Uh, but I can see a world in which they have an agreement with Xbox for a very long time uh, that gets them near that same value uh, as an effort to just say this was wrong uh, on the part of Sony and we don't much care for you. Now, Joshua asked the question, why do Grand Theft Auto and Elden Ring not factor into the CMA's analysis when they very often outsell COD titles? Well, Elden Ring isn't a very often scenario. It's a one-off, right? But because Call of Duty's consistency, I would say let's put the benefit of the doubt hat on for the CMA. Call of Duty is consistently there every single year, top 10 sales. That is a special product. Grand Theft Auto releases a game every, um, I don't know, 15 years at this point. Now, they reissue that a lot. Uh, but it's not necessarily the same kind of thing uh, as Call of Duty. So I think there is a specialness to Call of Duty. I don't think we have to discount that entirely. Alan Muller says, you could be saying that the CMA is a bit snippish. They're a bit snippy. They are. Uh, they are a bit snippy on all this stuff, um, and it makes it a little bit hard to understand exactly what's happening. Uh, Jay uh, Frescobar says, why, when the CMA brings up subscriptions, they don't talk about how PlayStation had one first. Also, Ubisoft, EA, and Amazon have their own as well. Again, I think we can put the benefit of the doubt of hat on and say Game Pass is a unique model. And that PlayStation, through PlayStation Now or even PlayStation Plus original recipe, wasn't doing what Game Pass is. Do they do a great job of defining those markets? No, because they think defining markets is like beneath them. We saw that earlier in the document. But I think we can look at it and say, yeah, that Game Pass thing is different from what these other services are doing. They're working specifically with third parties to put together a subscription in a way that others weren't doing. And I think you can give them that while still also saying they're not a separate market. Game Pass is not a separate market from buying a game. You can go and you can access Plague's Tale Requiem through Game Pass. You can also buy it yourself. Those are substitutive options. Um, and they absolutely are flat substitutes for each other. Uh, so I, I just don't see the CMA's case there, but they need to make it in order to make their monopoly market power case later on in the document. So again, it's a little bit of the tail wagging the dog there, but you can see exactly what they're setting up with their definitions. All right. Now we've talked about how they arrived at uh, what they've decided. Let's see what their views are. CMA views. Based on this evidence, the CMA believes that Activision content is important to the current and future success of console gaming platforms and multi-game subscription services. The CMA considers that overall publisher shares do not present a complete picture of the importance of Activision content. We're going to ignore your numbers that you've all presented of a 10 to 20 to 10 to 20 com combination. Brazil used that as the primary foundation between allowing the deal and not. Uh, the CMA says, nah, those numbers aren't real. We are smarter. As discussed below and in the assessment of individual input foreclosure theories of harm, some Activision games, and Call of Duty in particular, are especially important for attracting gamers to a platform. These gamers go on to play other games. I thought they were mostly playing Call of Duty. That was what you just decided. Available on that platform, increasing that platform's overall revenue, this aspect of competition cannot be captured in market shares solely. In particular, the CMA considers that, one, Call of Duty is currently one of the largest game franchises by user base and revenue. New entrants have noted the importance of having Call of Duty on their platform. Two, Call of Duty has a high level of awareness amongst gamers and is responsible for drawing a large, diverse, and loyal user base to a platform as noted above. 
Three, Call of Duty has been consistently successful for nearly a decade. Four, there exists very few franchises that can be considered alternatives to Call of Duty or match Call of Duty's level of success. Look, level of success is one thing, CMA. You can play about 100 games that give you a man shoot down a corridor that is either gussied up with World War II paraphernalia or modern warfare paraphernalia. They're really a dime a dozen out there. You can talk about quality. You can talk about market penetration. You can talk about level of success. Uh, there's a lot of competitors to the actual Call of Duty experience. Uh, five, I believe we're on. There also exist few publishers that can afford to invest the time and capital required to develop a game franchise like Call of Duty in the future. This is weird, right? Because Activision went crazy. Activision had a robust and diverse group of developers that were making all sorts of things. And over the past few years, they basically shuttered them all and made them Call of Duty Studios. So at some level, this is correct. You can't really match that. On another level, who would want to? Activision put all of their eggs in one basket, then went through a major tumultuous period, and that's why their shares were down. So you're saying, well, you can't do what Activision does. That's what Sony says, but that's not a realistic competitive scenario anyway. Activision was in the process of going under, making the decisions that they made, and the tentpole releases like Vanguard not living up to expectations, really squeezing their bottom line. So yes, maybe. You can't do that. I'm not even sure Microsoft will do it in the same configuration that Activision did because it's dumb. Uh, F6, the merger would result in Call of Duty being a part of a catalog of games that includes some of the best-selling franchises in particular genres. You dropped in Gears of War here, uh, Halo and, and Doom. I mean, I, I don't know if I if the CMA knows this, but Call of Duty, Halo, and Doom, it's the same, it's the same genre, shooters. Role-playing games, World of Warcraft, Elder Scrolls, Fallout, and Diablo. Those are wildly different games. I would, I would call those realistically different genres, except for Fallout and Elder Scrolls. Racing and flying games, for example, Forza, action-adventure games, Minecraft, and others. Is this an advertisement for Microsoft? <laughs> game Pass has a lot of really cool things. All right, let's go with Theory of Harm 1A. Input foreclosure of rival console gaming platforms, excluding subscription services. You're just going to keep... Call of Duty off of Sony's PlayStation. That's your theory of harm 1A. There are currently three main console gaming platforms providers in the market. Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. You see, by the way, in government documents, how much overlap there is, right? We talk about a 76-page document. So much of this is just going over the same stuff. The CMA has investigated whether the merged entity could harm Microsoft's rivals and thus lessen current and future competition in a console gaming platform through strategies such as making Activision content unavailable on rival consoles, exclusive to Xbox making Activision content available for release on rival console platforms at a later date. Timed exclusivity, like 12 months, say. Degrading the quality of Activision gaming content available to rival console gaming platforms, making features or upgrades of Activision games unavailable to other console gaming platforms, or raising the wholesale price of Activision content on rival gaming console platforms. The CMA considers that any foreclosure of Microsoft's console rivals would affect console hardware and their related storefronts. This is because console platforms are integrated in terms of their offer of hardware and digital storefronts. As noted further below, the CMA considers that Nintendo competes less closely with Xbox as compared to PlayStation by virtue of its differentiated content target audience and differential technical capabilities. This theory of harm therefore focuses on Sony. The CMA has considered the ability of the merged entity to harm Sony through total or partial foreclosure of ABK games. It's incentive to do so and the effect of such strategies on competition. We've seen the Brazil decision. We know that Nintendo is that phrase that they used the counterfactual to this supposition. Nintendo is proving that you don't need Call of Duty to succeed. And the nature of that proof is that they competed in a different way from Microsoft's Xbox CMA. Stop pulling my leg. 
you say, well, they differentiated enough, then Sony should differentiate enough. What in the world are you talking about? You're telling me Nintendo is not an active participant in the video game market. That is ridiculous. And again, goes to that tail wagging that dog. You need Nintendo to not be a part of the market because Nintendo not needing Call of Duty or really any Activision title kills your argument. You know this. Everybody reading this knows this. And you make the determination because it's differentiated. Well, that's competition, baby. Sony has to get weird. It can't fight $70 billion. We know this, but it can fight on its own merits. Nintendo has proven that you can. CMA. Come on, man. Ability. Party submissions. As noted above, the party submitted that the merged entity would lack market games in publishing. The parties also submitted that any foreclosure strategy could not induce significant enough switching of gamers from rival platforms because ABK content is not a critical input. Gamers multi-home across gaming consoles i.e. They, they simultaneously own more plastic boxes under their TV. Even if exclusive games were to play an important role in a gamer's decision regarding which console to purchase, players tend to remain loyal to their preferred consoles, and players are likely to face switching costs that may deter them from switching away from the party's rival consoles. We got uh, trophies over here, so you don't want to lose those trophies or your PlayStation Stars points. As set out in further detail below, the parties additionally submitted that Call of Duty is not an important input because Nintendo is successful without it. Sony has existing contractual protections through 2027 and evidence from past partial exclusivity strategies shows that they are ineffective. I like this. I like to show, I, I like to think that Phil Spencer rolls up and says, you know, that one time we bought Rise of the Tomb Raider, like it totally, it totally didn't do what we expected. So um, yeah, exclusives aren't really all that, all that great CMA. <laughs> it's fantastic. The party submitted that Nintendo has built a successful console business without a single version of Call of Duty. The party stated that the overall quality and appeal of a platform are more important than any game. The party submitted that Nintendo cannot be dismissed as competing less closely with Xbox than PlayStation on the basis that it offers different types of games because there are several paths that a console platform can take without relying on a particular game franchise or genre, and Nintendo offers games across genres. Nintendo's a real boy, CMA. And you can almost feel the frustration of Microsoft saying all this stuff. Are you kidding me? You're going to eliminate Nintendo from the equation. Really? The party submitted some snip stuff about what percentage of sales it represents for Call of Duty on PlayStation. Presumably, these are small numbers to try to establish that it's not important. In relation to Sony, the party's... Wow. Okay. I think we had a moment there with the internet. Hopefully that didn't last too long. Um, but yes, I have to put the I have to put the screen up when I'm starting to talk about it. I've done that before in this space, so I apologize in advance. Um, okay, we're back. Everybody says we're back. The nature of live broadcast, folks. Um, people tell me to put the screen up. We do have co-counsel coming in here. Yes, I've already shared my screen. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have, in fact, shared my screen. Tunnel vision for Hogue. Yes, I get into a, I get into the reading, um, and uh, we get it going there. All right. Two and a half hours in. Our first technical uh, snafu. I think we're doing okay in terms of the timing there. Paragraph one fifty nine. 
In relation to Sony, the parties further submitted that they would not be able to engage in a hypothetical input foreclosure strategy because ABK has existing contracts with Sony. Parties explained that a number of existing agreements between Activision and Sony, which provide for certain Activision content to be distributed on PlayStation, expire in 2024. Parties further explained that they have proposed to Sony that they would extend that to the end of 2027. In relation to partial foreclosure strategies, the party submitted that Call of Duty has provided exclusive or timed exclusive downloadable content for either Sony or Microsoft since 2005, and that these arrangements have not led to either Sony or Microsoft being obliterated out of the video game sphere. The parties also submitted that including extra content on the Xbox platform would benefit consumers and would not harm PlayStation gamers. Technically true, but it feels bad, man. Internal documents. As described above, the CMA found that ABK's content, especially Call of Duty, is important for rival gaming platforms. The CMA considered the party's submissions in relation to Nintendo being a successful platform that does not offer Call of Duty and believes that this is because Nintendo generally offers a differentiated gaming experience to Xbox and PlayStation. Why does that matter, CMA? Why does it matter? Sony can differentiate. Sony has capital. Sony has money. Sony doesn't have to differentiate, and they can take their chances in that particular model. But if one can, that should be taken into account. In general, Microsoft's internal documents track PlayStation more closely than Nintendo, with Nintendo often being absent from any internal competitive assessment. You haven't treated them as a competitor before. One Microsoft internal document assesses SNP. Another Microsoft internal document points to the differences in the technical capabilities of the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo consoles. Sure. The CMA has also received evidence from the parties showing something. This suggests that Xbox and PlayStation are closer substitutes to each other than to Nintendo Switch. There's no doubt that they are closer substitutes. The question is not the closeness of the substitution. The question is whether Nintendo is a substitute at all. And I would challenge you, CMA, to suggest that the Nintendo is not a substitute for playing games on the Xbox or the PlayStation. From a third party's perspective, the CMA found that Activision's content, especially Call of Duty, is particularly important to Sony's PlayStation. Regarding the merged abilities to foreclose Nintendo, third parties confirmed that Microsoft and Sony compete closely and that Nintendo is not as close a competitor, not meaning that it doesn't have a market share, just that it's in a different market as determined by the CMA alone. One third party explained that Nintendo's business model differs from that of Sony's and Microsoft's and that Nintendo competes more closely with companies outside of the gaming industry. For example, Nintendo has products such as Wii Fit, which are not traditional games and may compete with fitness apps and other non-gaming apps. Yes, Nintendo does weird stuff. You're going to bring Labo in? This third party also explained that Nintendo's audience differs from other consoles as its games are marketed as family-friendly with less focus on heavy violence or shooting games. You can definitely play Doom on your Nintendo Switch. Another third-party publisher commented on the technical differences of Nintendo's consoles, noting that they had encountered difficulties which, when bringing a game to Nintendo Switch, but no difficulty in bringing the same game to Xbox or PlayStation. Okay, very true. Of course, that cloud service stuff is a lot of what folks use on the Switch. As for the merged entity's ability to foreclose Sony, consistent with Activision's internal documents discussed above, the CMA has received evidence that Call of Duty has higher levels of user engagement and revenue spend on PlayStation than the parties estimated. Sony submitted that it has the highest awareness and ownership levels of all third-party franchises. In addition, Call of Duty plays an important role in attracting high-value gamers to the platform. These Call of Duty gamers spend considerable amounts of money on other PlayStation games and hardware, which substantially increases the revenue impact of having Call of Duty on the platform. Now, this is an interesting causation correlation concept. If you are a big-time gamer, chances are you're going to get everything. Is it driving you as a Call of Duty gamer into being a high-value gamer? I would argue that maybe Call of Duty gamers are a little bit more casual and actually purchase less, but we don't have the right stats from anybody on that. 
So it, that tends to be my thought process is you have a Madden gamer, you have a Call of Duty gamer, that's what they play. They purchase whatever small amount of games that they have on the system. Uh, and that other gamers, hobbyist gamers like me, who try to purchase basically everything that's of interest in all genres are perhaps the more high value, value targets for these consoles. The CMA notes that the network effects in gaming mean that having players on a platform attracts content to that platform. And if a sufficient number of high-end gamers were to leave PlayStation, that could impact the level of investment that independent publishers devote to making or adapting games for PlayStation. Third-party views also covered the merged entity's ability to engage in partial foreclosure strategies. Sony told the CMA that even if Call of Duty games remained available on PlayStation following the merger, the merged entity would still be able to engage in partial foreclosures by increasing the differentiation between the versions of Call of Duty available on Xbox and on PlayStation. Here's where you have to stifle a snicker, right? Because Sony and PlayStation have ads right now about the advantages of buying Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 this month on PlayStation. And yes, that's the way these parties have competed with each other ad infinitum. So it seems very specious for Sony and PlayStation to argue, well, that they could still put only special stuff or beta access or what have you on their service. And, and wouldn't that be a problem? According to Sony Interactive Entertainment, gamers may expect that Call of Duty on Xbox will include extra content and enhanced interoperability with the console hardware, in addition to any benefits from membership in Game Pass. Sony submitted that these factors are likely to influence gamers' choice of console. Again, I don't see a problem. CMA's assessment of ability, presumably to foreclose, based on the above evidence, the CMA has found that the merge entity would have a significant upstream market power in publishing games for consoles with a share of 10 to 20% by revenue and 30 to 40% by minutes played. That's an interesting stat to make this determination of market share. Minutes played. Okay. Is a really long game that doesn't otherwise have in-game app purchases really like advantageous? I don't think that that's the stat that we should be using for this. The CMA is plucking out stats all over the place here. Activision has a particularly high share in shooter games, 30, 40% in the UK. I thought we weren't using genres with Call of Duty being one of the largest game franchises available to distribution platforms. In any event, the CMA considers that market shares are not completely indicative of upstream market power. We're not going to use market power for market power, which is characterized by network effects. The franchise's market power is enhanced by its high level of awareness and the presence of very few games that can match its level of success. ABK's content is an important input for Sony, such that Microsoft may have the ability to foreclose Sony's PlayStation console gaming platform. Along with the evidence mentioned above on the importance of Call of Duty, the CMA notes... That Call of Duty has higher levels of revenue and user engagement on PlayStation than was estimated. PlayStation's success is not driven primarily by its technical superiority. Gaming content is an important driver of demand, and PlayStation's com competitive position could be materially harmed if Call of Duty were not available. Although PlayStation currently has a substantial number of non-Call of Duty monthly active users, the CMA believes that some of these non-Call of Duty gamers may also switch away from PlayStation following any total or partial foreclosure strategies. Lord help me, the CMA's determination on this is that even people that don't play Call of Duty might leave if Call of Duty isn't there. Why? Because the presence of strong direct network effects imply that some of these non-Call of Duty gamers would want to continue to play other games with their friends, who in turn switch as a result of the foreclosure strategies. There will be a snowball because their buddies will go to Xbox where the Call of Duty lives and you might as well go to Xbox. Certainly on the margins, this is true. Is that marginal impact significant enough to end Sony's ability to compete with Xbox? I have my doubts. There are few, if any, alternative franchises with Call of Duty's level of brand awareness and popularity amongst gamers. It sounds like something to be corrected by investment. Whilst the party submitted that PlayStation itself has some exclusive franchises, such as Spider-Man, 
the CMA believes that these do not come close to having Call of Duty's level of success. In relation to the party submissions that Nintendo is successful without offering Call of Duty on its console, the CMA considers that this is likely due to its differentiated hardware and content. The CMA believes that the availability of a few games exhibiting violence, such as Postal Redux, I like that Microsoft thought exactly as I did when submitting the evidence to the CMA, does not undermine its conclusion that most of Nintendo's content appeals to a different customer segment. In addition, the CMA notes that one of the reasons for the lack of Call of Duty's availability on Nintendo suggested by the parties is because of the Nintendo Switch not being technically capable of supporting the latest version of Call of Duty, which the CMA considers as further evidence that Nintendo is not a close arrival to PlayStation or Xbox. As such, the CMA does not consider that Nintendo's current success is sufficient evidence to show that Sony does not require access on competitive terms to Activision's content in order to compete against Microsoft. This is a conclusion that drives all of the evidence that the CMA put forward. And I get reading this, how Microsoft fans and Microsoft itself have grown frustrated in the middle sections of this document. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody else has any other thoughts here. We've got an LMAO, which seems justified. Uh, we've got A. Hettinger here says, I mean, we know they screw companies that want to implement cross-play from Epic versus Apple. We, we do know that they have a specific financial stake in that. Um, what else do we have here? We've got different people talking about different stats here in the chat, and I won't pull the screen down so I don't forget to put it back up. Raphael asks, so Sony never had exclusive content, like say Time DLC, Sony. All of this stuff is true. Uh, A. Hedinger says, weird stuff is another phrase for innovation. Yeah, I tend to use, you got to go do something weird. You got to get that Labo out there. You got to do something that differentiates because, yeah, you don't have the money in Microsoft, so go make the value proposition to customers. Um, that's what Nintendo did. And Nintendo is surviving with a lot less uh, publicity than Sony has in, in certain circles, certainly. Uh, in relation to the party submissions on Sony's contractual protections, the CMA notes that the proposal to extend ABK's agreement with Sony beyond 2024 is yet to be formally agreed to. So Sony gets to drive how the antitrust regulators look at things by just neglecting to sign up to an agreement. In any event, consistent with the CMA's merger assessment guidelines, while the CMA acknowledges that this contract may provide Sony with some protection, the CMA is not minded to place material weight on contractual protections when considering the ability of the merged entity to foreclose its rivals through, for example, denying access to current or future versions of the input. That is because, for example, such contractual protections may not account for all possible foreclosure mechanisms, may be renegotiated or terminated, or may not be enforced depending on the respective parties' respective bargaining positions. They're just contracts, folks. We need the government to come in and protect Sony on this. The CMA considers that the above conclusions also hold in relation to the party's ability to foreclose rival console platforms using partial foreclosure strategies. Whilst the CMA recognizes that strategies such as timed exclusivity or marketing exclusivity may not have foreclosed rivals in the past, the merged entity could engage in additional partial foreclosure strategies that remain untested. When combined, these strategies could significantly impact the ability of Sony to compete. We, we know that this has never actually happened, but it could. How do you argue that? This is the fundamental problem that Microsoft is facing, right? Because we can be as incredulous as we want with some of these paragraphs. And to my mind, as a lawyer, looking at corporations and how businesses operate, this is absolutely worthy of incredulousness. Uh, if this is to go through, it's not technically irrational. Um, so what, what would Microsoft do? And that's where I think the real fear comes from. Based on the above evidence, in particular, the market power of the merged entity in relation to game publishing for consoles and the importance of Activision's content as an input, the CMA believes that the merged entity may have the ability to engage in total and partial foreclosure of rival console platforms, in particular Sony, who is currently Microsoft's main and closest competitor in this area. Now, what is the incentive to do so? 
We've already seen in public Microsoft say, we don't have an incentive to do this. Call of Duty makes a ton of money for us. Why would we take it off a platform? Now, I tend to discount that a little bit because I tend to agree with the overall philosophical interpretation that says, yes, they could foreclose someone from access in order to try to drive people to Game Pass, which may be more valuable to them in the long run. Paragraph 178. The CMA notes that gaming is a complex and dynamic market where firms' current positions and profit margins may not be a good guide to the future and where strategic considerations may play a greater role. As such, the CMA considers it is appropriate for it to place greater weight on qualitative rather than quantitative evidence when assessing the incentives of the merged entity to foreclose rivals. In terms of its quantitative assessment, the CMA's focus is on the relative magnitude of the costs and benefits of foreclosure not on predicting the exact size of each element. As such, the CMA has not performed a quantitative analysis of incentives, but has assessed the party's submissions on this point. Feels. Feels. We're going to look at how we feel about it, how we think they feel about it, and the, the profit share doesn't matter, the market share doesn't matter, the numbers don't matter, the costs and benefits don't matter. We're just going to look at it and say, hmm, we think you could do this. What is your incentive? Hmm. Financial modeling, they're going to go through this a little bit. The party submitted that ABK Games, particularly Call of Duty, generated large revenues on PlayStation, so it would not be in their interest to withdraw. They had some snipped information to illustrate the points. The party submitted an economic analysis to show the merged entity would not have an incentive to withhold the Call of Duty franchise, at least as between 2024 and 2028. The party submitted that for a strategy to be profitable over snip percentage of Call of Duty players on PlayStation would need to purchase a new Xbox, a figure they consider to be implausibly high. The party submitted that their analysis of incentives represents an accurate view of the decisions facing the merged entity as it was prepared using Microsoft's ordinary course of business data. Sony separately submitted a similar analysis relying on its own data, which suggested that a lower proportion of Call of Duty players on PlayStation would need to switch to Xbox for the strategy to be profitable. The parties consider Microsoft's ordinary course of business data to be superior to any data available for Sony for this analysis. Great. The CMA believes, however that the methodology underlying the party's incentives analysis and the data inputs on which it is based may be flawed or incomplete, and that the approach to estimating the critical diversion ratio is not likely to be accurate. In addition, the CMA considers that the number of gamers that would switch to Xbox if Microsoft made Activision's content exclusive could be significantly higher than the parties predict, given the importance of Activision's content to gamers, which again would make the model inaccurate. So we've assumed nine things at the CMA level. We've gotten information from Microsoft that they think is better than the information they got from Sony, but again, feels oriented, qualitative, not quantitative. We just think Call of Duty is super important to the people that play it, much more so than you're estimating, and that more people will leave and you can't fight it. It's our feels. First, the party's model is likely to understate the benefits to the merged entity of withholding Call of Duty from PlayStation. A, the model does not capture the impact of network effects in gaming and the corresponding increase in revenues that these could bring to Microsoft. An increase in its user base would boost the attractiveness of Xbox to developers, thereby attracting more users, which would increase the return to Microsoft from engaging in such a strategy. Unless you want to accuse Microsoft of lying about their ordinary business data, about what they have presented to you as an agency, I would be very reluctant as a regulator sitting in the seat that the CMA is sitting in to substitute their judgment for my own based on nothing. We just think they're wrong. They haven't taken into account the benefits of these network effects. We think they're going to make much more money on this. Now, you can accuse them of lying. That is well within your ambit. Well, we think they're being deceptive. This is a pretextual, whatever it is. Um, but unless you're going to do that, this is uh, an argument that feels poor to me. Uh, they're just wrong. They're not taking into account all the benefits they're going to get from doing this. 
The parties assume that the value to Microsoft of acquiring a new Xbox user is SNP, in other words, SNP, which the CMA considers is not credible. There's, there's lying. And suggests the model understates the benefit of an acquired user. For comparison, one Activision document estimates the lifetime value of a PlayStation user is SNP. Under the party's analysis, the average lifetime user value of an Xbox user over the five years of their analysis is SNP. The CMA further notes SNP and lacks explanation of how they were constructed. So there's a difference of opinion in the internal documents between Activision and Microsoft as to what the value of a person is that plays Call of Duty. The model assumes a very limited value to Microsoft, despite the evidence that this is a key driver of Microsoft strategy. More specifically, the model estimates this based on things we're not going to be told. Second, the CMA considers that the model may overstate the costs to the merged entity of withholding Call of Duty from PlayStation. The CMA believes the model overestimates the revenue that is made from each Call of Duty gamer on PlayStation. This has been calculated by dividing total expected Call of Duty revenues on PlayStation by an estimate of the annual number of users worldwide. However, the CMA understands that in fact, a substantially larger number of PlayStation users play Call of Duty within a year, implying that all else being equal, the true revenue per user may be substantially smaller than the model assumes. The analysis assumes that the merged entity would snip on PlayStation. Specifically, it assumes Microsoft will receive this percentage of those revenues based on historical commission rates and partnerships. And this analysis snips. Third, the CMA considers that the methodology chosen by the parties to conduct their analysis does not represent a standard approach to estimating a critical diversion ratio. The complex methodology used by the parties appears to depend heavily on the assumptions listed above rather than to reflect the relative profits which would be gained in the downstream market and lost in the upstream market from foreclosure. So they are saying at the end of the day here uh, in these paragraphs that Microsoft has submitted a bunk set of calculations that are specifically based around lowering what the value of foreclosure would be to them and presenting that to the CMA. The CMA is calling Microsoft liars here. Um, and we'll have to see what Microsoft says in their response. The CMA considers that these flawed assumptions combined with the party's choice of a non-standard methodology to calculate those diversion ratios limit the evidential weight which may be placed on the findings of the, the analysis. We can discard what you sent us. Robustness tests by the parties allow for small changes in these parameters, but the CMA believes that these sensitivities do not address the limitations that we have found. We just found it to be completely unscientific. The CMA notes that this analysis is also limited only to the Call of Duty franchises. As discussed above, the CMA considers the Activision's other gaming franchises across its back catalog and new releases are also highly appealing to gamers, including those who play them on rival consoles. As such, a foreclosure strategy, which included those additional Activision games, may decrease the critical diversion ratio. Sony submitted to the CMA its own analysis of the merged entities incentive to make the Call of Duty franchise exclusive to the Xbox console. This analysis estimates the critical diversion ratio using data from Sony as being 1% to 10% of PlayStation gamers. Sony states that given the levels of engagement with Call of Duty observed among PlayStation gamers, actual switching as a result of an exclusivity strategy will be higher than the critical diversion ratio. So whatever this number is, it's between 1 and 10. PlayStation believes it's a single-digit kind of concept and that they are sure that at least that percentage will leave Sony to go to Xbox should, in particular, Call of Duty be an exclusive Xbox game. I can't say that that's wrong, right? I can't say that that's wrong. Uh, I don't know the numbers here behind the scenes. CMA is snipping everything of import that we could use to decide for ourselves here publicly. And so, yes, there might be a reason, an incentive to make Call of Duty exclusive. But if it doesn't kill Sony and its ability to actively participate in the marketplace, it realistically shouldn't matter. The CMA considers that this illustrates that there is a range of results that can be achieved by making reasonable changes to certain assumptions. While the CMA has placed limited evidentiary weight on Sony's analysis, the CMA considers that even the merged entity's static incentive to foreclose Sony may be considerably stronger than suggested by the parties. In any event, 
The CMA considers that a static analysis of vertical arithmetic is of only limited value in assessing the merged entity's incentive to foreclose, as the merged entity may be pursuing objectives other than the maximization of short-term profits. This is right. The CMS considers uh, Microsoft's strategy for its gaming division is long-term, well-financed, and focused on user acquisition, presumably CMA. The evidence suggests that Microsoft has shown itself to be willing to make losses in the short term in order to build scale and increase its user base. The future growth of the gaming industry increases Microsoft's incentive to prioritize increasing its size in the short run, as does the presence of strong direct and indirect network effects. So basically, this is the strongest paragraph that the CMA actually uses, saying all the math is unimportant because there's clearly an incentive that Microsoft has shown through the way that it has operated to make things exclusive in order to grow that Game Pass pie. Because Microsoft is acting under the assumption that gaming is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And if we can control that subscription service, if we can get that recurring revenue stream in place, then we are going to make bank, even if we're not selling directly into any other ecosystem as a buy to play level. And that is at least an intuitive and reasonable argument that the CMA could make, even though it is still, as you will note, if you're listening to this, in that feels kind of range. We think they could do this. They've shown they've done this before. They have a generalized kind of internal documentation structure that says, this is what we want to do. We want to drive people to Game Pass. We want to get people in that ecosystem. We think gaming is going to increase and we will do that. And that's that's what the CMA uses next. Past business practices. This is what they did with Zenimax. This is what they did with Obsidian. This is what they did with In, in Exile, Ninja Theory. Compulsion. Uh, the party submitted their examples of Microsoft having released games on PlayStation. Double Fine released Psychonauts 2. In Exile released Wasteland 3. Compulsion released We Happy Few on multiple consoles. Zenimax Media has actually already had contractual obligations to release Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo. Uh, Elder Scrolls Online and Fallout 76 have continued to receive support after the acquisition. The Minecraft games and Minecraft spinoffs are available on both of these platforms, but the CMA does not consider it necessary to assess Microsoft's incentives in every previous acquisition. Rather, the CMA considers that Microsoft's course of conduct is sufficiently strong evidence of its broad incentives that it may have an incentive to acquire valuable content and then make it exclusive. This is because Microsoft has often pursued a strategy of acquiring publishers and making their games exclusive, even when those publishers previously made their content available to all consoles. And Microsoft has pursued this strategy when acquiring content that is far less valuable than Activision and hence far less likely to divert customers to its console. As such, the CMA considers that Microsoft may have an even stronger incentive to make Activision's content exclusive to Xbox post-merger. Obviously, you can read that set of data the exact opposite way, which is what Microsoft wants you to read it at, right? You could say, yeah, okay, we can make something that is smallish exclusive. If we didn't have contracts, we probably would have made Deathloop exclusive. That would have been great. It got high reviews. That would have been useful to us. Activision, Call of Duty is so big and so valuable, throws off so much profit from being on a place like Sony that it is much more costly to us to foreclose on that, right? So you've read it the opposite way. It's so valuable in terms of diversion that we would definitely do it when we did it for smaller companies. I would argue if on Microsoft, the exact opposite. Yeah, we did it with smaller companies because it's not really us losing a lot of profits. You take Call of Duty off of another platform, that's us giving up a lot more than we would have been giving up for foreclosing on a different property. Obviously, reasonable minds can differ on this kind of stuff, but I do think that it's more likely that they wouldn't foreclose a property that is as big and grand and revenue producing as Call of Duty than in respect to those smaller things. I think the CMA reads it exactly the opposite. And again, you kind of see this drive towards the conclusions that they want to reach throughout this document. 
partial foreclosure. This is your timed exclusives. This is your changes in what's actually available. While the above examples of Microsoft's exclusivity strategies following past acquisition of publishers relate primarily to full exclusivity, the CMA believes that the merged entity could have the incentive to use partial foreclosure strategies with respect to Activision games. The party submitted that cross-platform play is an important feature of Call of Duty that would be threatened by the merged entity pursuing a strategy of partial foreclosure. Cross-platform play creates a large pool of players, which allows for improved matchmaking between players of similar ability and allows gamers to play with their friends across different consoles. The CMA considers that given the high number of Call of Duty players, high-quality matchmaking would continue to be possible even if cross-play were compromised. Cross-play would also be less important if a foreclosure strategy succeeded in attracting more gamers to Xbox. In any event, the CMA considers that there are mechanisms of partial foreclosure that are compatible with cross-platform play, such as exclusive in-game items or price differences. Again, this tends to sound like an agency that had already made up its mind. Because if we're just looking at the historical practice of Xbox as a, for instance, Xbox has always been kind of in favor of cross-platform play. You can say that's because they were in the losing position in the console wars in many of the generations, and you might not be wrong there. But if we're going to use past practice, we should use past practice. And Xbox has traditionally been much more open to cross-platform play than its rival competitor, Sony. And then Nintendo just goes off and does what it wants with cell phones and what have you. The CMA considers that partial foreclosure strategies could allow Microsoft to increase its user base while minimizing revenue losses from Call of Duty players. In particular, the CMA notes that PlayStation gamers have varying degrees of attachment to Call of Duty. Some would switch to Xbox in response to a total foreclosure strategy and others would not. A partial foreclosure strategy would allow Microsoft to capture the most dedicated gamers, those who would switch to Xbox to benefit from some enhanced content, interoperability, or earlier releases, whilst continuing to generate revenues from less dedicated PlayStation Call of Duty gamers who may not have switched to Xbox in response to a total foreclosure strategy. In fact, that's that's what the market does right now, right? That's, that's what Sony's doing right now with Modern Warfare 2. So you're going to actually need to sell me on why this is a problem, CMA, and you've failed at that so far. Reputational damage. And this, again, I think the CMA is likely to have the winning argument here because Microsoft has said, well, it'll hurt how Xbox brand in, C in Call of Duty itself is seen. I don't think anybody actually thinks that, right? We've been dealing with exclusives in the market for forever. And in general, the console war and console warriors are very hoorah about keeping content from the opposing console. For reasons beyond my ken, generally speaking, amongst definitely your most fervent fan base, you making something exclusive for your benefit and against the other is not going to be seen terribly negatively. Now, in terms of PlayStation gamers, maybe, uh, but we'll see what the CMA has to say here. The party submitted that they would not engage in partial foreclosure strategies because this would damage the reputation of both Xbox and Call of Duty. The party submitted two examples to illustrate the reputations can be damaged by any such strategies. The Xbox timed exclusivity of Square Enix's Rise of the Tomb Raider and the PC port of Warner Brothers' Batman Arkham Knight. They actually did trot Rise of the Tomb Raider out there. Remember when I said earlier, I had this vision of Phil Spencer just going, oh, that Rise of the Tomb Raider exclusivity really didn't work. It really didn't, Phil. Really didn't. The parties did not, however, explain how any such reputational damage would remove their incentive to engage in a partial foreclosure strategy. I mean, as long as we're pontificating on quantitative and qualitative levels and feels-based thought process, do they need to explain why reputational damage would reduce their incentive to engage in a foreclosure reputational damage pretty much speaks for itself right you lose that q score you get some bad faith you expend some of the goodwill that you've been building over the course of years or decades and you don't want to do that and so you would evaluate that against whatever value you think you could get from this foreclosure strategy it's self-explanatory this would require showing that a sufficient number of users would refuse to purchase call of duty on xbox which the which the cma considers to be unlikely given the popularity of the franchise 
The CMA considers that the two examples that the parties provided are not directly relevant to the merged entity's incentive to make ABK games exclusive, especially since one example relates to a game published by a third-party publisher, and the parties did not provide evidence that it performed poorly as a result of a reputational damage. Really, go read up on Rise of the Tomb Raider, will you? And the other is unrelated to any form of exclusivity. Moreover, the CMA notes that many games are exclusive to certain consoles without any reputational or financial damage to the games of the console. Seriously, CMA? On the rise of the Tomb Raider stuff, go read up on Xbox. Go read up on how that was treated by gamers. Go read up on some of the content that was related to that. And yeah, go look at statistics uh, on the sales of Rise of the Tomb Raider, on the sales of Xbox, whether it moved any needles and how people felt about the Microsoft Xbox brand as a part of that process. So, okay, the parties didn't submit any evidence. I don't think they have to submit evidence on why reputational damage is bad, uh, but it certainly would have been a better move for Microsoft to do that. And again, CMA, I'm on your side on this. I don't think there's any reputational damage that will be associated with these two specific things, but you actually have to do your homework and evaluate things like Rise of the Tomb Raider when they're presented by the parties. CMA's assessment of incentives for the reasons set out above, the CMA believes that the merged entity may have the incentive to engage in total or partial foreclosure strategies using Activision's content in order to expand its user base and grow its gaming platform. The CMA believes that the benefits to the merged entity could outweigh the costs associated with either total or partial foreclosure. Now understand, you see all the coulds here, you see the maze here, this is that phase one approach. They say, hey, it's a possibility. I don't necessarily disagree with them. I disagree with basically all the logic that they have presented, but the overall conclusion that yes, it's possible that Microsoft could advantage itself by making Call of Duty exclusive, I think is an intuitive understanding that is really only lost in the weeds of you trying to defend yourself with the many, many paragraphs and much time that you are expending on our behalf on our Microsoft. Effect, the party submitted that Sony will not be marginalized as a console platform if it loses access to Call of Duty. The party submitted that Sony is superior to Xbox in various metrics, such as installed console base and monthly active users and SNP, mystery advantage. The parties also submitted that Sony has a large portfolio of exclusive content that accounted for SNP percentage of consumer spend on PlayStation, including examples of Mar Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales, which outsold all Xbox titles combined in the week that the PlayStation 5 launched. It's a good stat, Microsoft. The CMA acknowledges that PlayStation is currently outperforming Xbox in terms of metrics such as installed console base and MAU. However, the CMA also notes that given the importance of Call of Duty to PlayStation and the existence of strong direct and indirect network effects, any foreclosure strategy could have a significant impact on Sony's revenues and user base. As noted above, very few other titles on PlayStation, including Sony exclusives, are currently able to replicate Call of Duty's success. The impact of any foreclosure strategy, total or partial, on Sony may be particularly strong at the launch of the next generation of consoles when both new and existing users decide which console to buy. If Call of Duty is made exclusive to Xbox at that point, either permanently or for a period of time after the launch, a significant number of current PlayStation users could switch to Xbox, rendering Sony's current market-leading position immaterial. The CMA notes with respect to the examples submitted by the parties that enhanced versions of games that are launched alongside a new console, such as Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales, would be expected to have particularly high sales the week that the console launches, as consumers will purchase games together with the new consoles. The CMA further understands that in the second week following the launch of PlayStation 5, the top-selling game for the system was Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. It's like a zinger from the CMA. Paragraph 204. When it has been established that there will be harm to competitors, this will often directly imply that there will be harm to overall competition. Oh my goodness. Where the foreclosed firms play a sufficiently important role in the competitive process on the downstream market. 
Based on the evidence above, the CMA believes that PlayStation is Xbox's closest competitor in a highly concentrated market for gaming consoles and therefore plays a very important role in the competitive process. The CMA believes that the merged entity may have the ability and incentive to engage in total and or partial foreclosure strategies using Activision's content, and this could materially affect Sony's ability to compete. The CMA therefore believes that a material impact on Sony's ability to compete would have a detrimental impact on overall competition in the market and ultimately harm consumers. There you go, folks. Paragraph 204 is where the CMA says a harm to Sony's market share is a harm to gamers everywhere. And I just can't get behind that conclusion. Yes, I can agree with you that Microsoft might have an incentive to make their stuff exclusive. They bought something with that $70 billion. Yes, I can agree that Microsoft might have an incentive to make things partially exclusive and to have things like early access beta tests or other things that Sony is presently doing now to compete with Microsoft's Xbox product. But no, I can't get behind that any damage done to Sony's market share, any move in user base is so detrimental to gamers and competition that it should be prevented by regulatory fiat based on feels and guesswork as to what even is the diversion that would happen for a absolutely hypothetical exclusive. So we are way far afield now. We are 14 assumptions deep half of which I disagree with, and the CMA presses on. Conclusion on Theory of Harm 1A. For the reasons set out above, the CMA believes that the merged entity may have the ability and incentive to engage in strategies to foreclose Sony, Microsoft's closest rival in console gaming platforms, and that this could significantly harm competition. Sony equals competition. Accordingly, the CMA found that the merger raises significant competition concerns as a result of vertical effects in relation to the manufacturing supply of consoles in the UK. All right, before we get to Game Pass, page 51 of 76, we're doing it, folks. We have crossed the three-hour mark. Stretch out your legs, stretch out your arms, stretch out your like button, pinky finger or index finger, hit that like button. If you're enjoying this kind of long-form content, it is long-form, I know that. I can't make the regulators write any less on this stuff. I'm trying to skip where I see skippable stuff, but I want to make sure we cover absolutely everything. Uh, and let's get ready for a little bit more with a bit of a break here. How's everybody doing today? Three hours and 11 minutes, and I promise a long one. Super virtual legality. Anybody uh, getting a different vibe from the CMA than I am? Anybody have any competing kind of considerations here? You think I'm wrong on something or other that I'm saying? Maybe you're a big PlayStation fan. Trisha Lynn says, holy heck, it has been three hours. I got my tea here. I'm drinking up. I'm going to need some food maybe at some point in the future. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Uh, MS says, this man is spicy. I like it. I get spicy for absolutely specious arguments, right? And you can see there are aspects of what the CMA says here that I think are legitimate. I think Microsoft is being disingenuous with its incentives to potentially make things exclusive uh, and a little bit disingenuous with the value of the product to the Sony ecosystem. But I don't think that competition is stagnation. I don't think, speaking of ossifying things as the CMA did, whipping out their thesaurus for that one, I don't believe that the role of the regulators in any jurisdiction is to ossify the existing market shares, conditions, market leaderships, or otherwise, and that that's the very antithesis of competition. Competition is a constant dynamism of moving in and out of the marketplace, gaining and losing market share, and struggling to compete for your consumer dollars, which is what leads to the highest quality and lowest prices for us consumers. That's what all antitrust law, at least in the West, is based around. And yet, oh my God, you hurt Sony. That's going to hurt competition? But is Sony going to fall over and die? 
Is Sony just going to say, ah, that's it, we're out? I don't think anybody realistically should believe that. And so when we look at this particular situation, is it irrational? No. And that's the problem. It's not irrational, which means that I'm not sure that if the CMA doubles down on phase two, that Microsoft is going to win at the tribunal level. And I don't know where it goes from there. I'm not a UK lawyer, but I suspect the further away from the regulator that you go, the less likelihood of a chance of overturning that, of appealing that successfully is going to be, even when I can sit here and say, this is a, this is some manner of ridiculousness. Uh, and I understand why the console warriors have come out and said, Rick, talk about this. Get online, get on a video here, here an hour three deep in the weeds. And I'll see if I can't set chapters of some kind after this all gets done, after I sleep for a while, right? Um, but in looking at all of this, it really does seem like the CMA came to its conclusion first and justified it uh, in advance with the other documents. Now, this is still phase one. You're still getting your maze. You're still getting your coulds. I have no feel for what a phase two will do with this. The CMA is still a part of the phase two review, even if you have another independent group deciding it with them. I think Microsoft has reason to be concerned. I, I don't know that it's 70-30 right now. I think it's probably closer to 60-40. And I'm sorry to say that, Microsoft fans, or fans of deals in general, uh, but I think it's starting to look like there's a possibility that this particular group with the tribunal or otherwise could decide to try to make hay and make a political moment out of stopping or trying to stop a $70 billion acquisition. Drawn TJ, thank you so much for the super chat. I really do appreciate that support here. Uh, I think, hmm, emoji, the CMA is corrupt. I'm not willing to go that far. Uh, I think that reasonable people can come to unreasonable conclusions. I think that there can be levels of incompetence or ignorance on industries. And I think there can just be political motivations. Uh, are those corruption? Maybe your mind can differ on mine uh, with respect to that. But I, I, I don't know that we're talking about bribes. I don't know that we're talking about uh, the, the corruption that I usually think about on that. So we'll, we'll hold that. We'll hold that unless something else comes out. Uh, you can just be bad. <laughs> you can just make uh, illogical conclusions without being corrupt. Uh, Wilda Santoso, hello, Ho. Can you outline the steps as you know what the UK investigation goes from here? Um, I don't know. As a matter of fact, that's a great question. I might have killed the tab that kind of talks about their process because I didn't want to overdo it with tabs. I think I did. Uh, but suffice it to say, basically, uh, there's a series of kind of um, uh, recitations that the CMA does to different groups. We have passed their recommendation to go into phase two. So phase two will happen. Uh, and phase two involves independent experts that they bring in while they continue to do more investigation on a deeper level. Microsoft has now submitted documentation, which they have made public, fighting the CMA, saying that there is no need for a phase two. I think that's a loser of an argument for Microsoft because a phase two is basically always warranted on these kinds of deal terms. But they are very animated about this because I think if you're a Microsoft lawyer, you're not hogged. You're just reading through this. You go, OK, we need to flag this. There's an associate somewhere that made a memo. It said there are real problems here. They've kicked out Nintendo. They've made these assumptions about whether or not we have an incentive to foreclose. They've said if we do foreclose, that could harm Sony. And that's very important because Sony represents competition, which is maybe a wrongful conclusion, but it's one that we have to work with because this is the regulator telling us this. We're going to have to fight them tooth and nail. Uh, and this might well be uh, where the deal lives or dies um, because we don't know what the FTC is going to do. We don't know what the European Commission is going to do, but the CMA here is at least presenting as someone that is willing to make maybe not irrational decisions, but ones that are illogical. Um, and that could be a big problem for our deal terms. So these steps are, we're going to go to phase two. It's going to take a number of months. They're going to keep investigating and then they will make a conclusion that we will see probably sometime in quarter one of the next year.
Uh, Jabril Williams, Microsoft didn't become a multi-trillion dollar company by being the nice guy and wanting everyone to compete with them equally. This is true. I am not sitting here telling you that Microsoft isn't going to use all of its considerable muscle and weight to try to push this through regardless. Uh, but I am telling you that um, the defense of Sony here is unusual in the antitrust space, actually identifying a specific given rival and saying harming their market share, which Sony said only needed a diversion of a, a single digit in percent, harming it at that single digit level is the equivalent of harming competition is um, odd. It's odd. Uh, what else we got? Questions, remember, super chats. Hopefully you can still see that pinned tweet up there. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, Venry, LOL. Is it possible for Microsoft to make the argument that by the CMA's own logic, Sony should lose exclusivity in their games? Sure, they can make that argument. Essentially expose the logical fallacy of their own arguments. I suspect they do. We're going to get to Microsoft's. We're, we're only in document one, folks. We are only in document one. It's been a while since I did this, right? Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, 15-hour streams. I don't, I've never done one like this solo. So we're all in this together. Uh, super virtual legality. We're going to get through every question, hopefully, that anybody has. We're going through all the documents. Um, but yes, it's possible for them to argue that. But remember, Sony's not in front of the CMA. Sony isn't trying to get a deal pushed through. Sony isn't trying to get approval. Um, the CMA can't go and rescind Sony's contractual arrangements. It can't do that kind of thing. Um, so yes, Microsoft can make the argument. And you saw what the CMA said. The CMA said, yeah, okay. Other people have done exclusives. Other people have done timed exclusives and they've never really killed any of the competitors, but they could. Okay. All right, CMA. Uh, Bob LaPel, regardless, I have to tip my cap to Sony conv convincing the CMA that any damage to Sony's bottom line is bad for gamers and competition. Microsoft needs to hire Sony's lawyers. I guess at a legal level, you can say respect. You seem to have co-opted a major regulatory agency and might just get a major deal in the history of the industry blocked uh, by using the argument of a hurt to us is a hurt to all. Um, there is a certain amount of respect you can give from a legal perspective, even though I don't much care for it. Cartsy question, could the CMA be using the deal to get something from Microsoft, concessions for the UK government, et cetera? Yes, absolutely. Uh, this process is exactly that, generally speaking. If a regulator says we're going to block this or we could block this because we think there's a substantial lessening of competition, that just starts the negotiation, right? And that might well happen behind the scenes. The FTC won't announce this like the CMA announces these things. But behind the scenes, the FTC might otherwise say we could block this. We might just block this. Um, and if we do decide to block it, uh, you're going to have to give us something to, to have us not do that. Um, you're going to have to make sure Call of Duty is on PlayStation for 10 years. You're going to have to make sure... Call of Duty doesn't go to Game Pass during that period. Uh, you're going to have to make sure Game Pass doesn't increase its prices for X amount of time. I don't know what any of these regulators might ask for, but they will ask for things if they say, hey, the, the hammer that we have is to block the deal, and you can prevent us from using that hammer if you otherwise give X, Y, and Z. Um, so not the UK government. It's not like Microsoft owes us free windows, uh, but things that are related to the market share kind of concept. Um, okay. What else we have here? Jeremy Morton became a new member. Welcome, Jeremy Morton. Thank you for becoming a member here. Enjoy the emojis, everything else. Okay. I think right now is actually a good time for what my old friends at the Easy Allies used to call a research break. I'm going to turn off the camera and the mic. I will be back in about five minutes, uh, after I just rest and refresh and we go and continue on with page 51 of 76. So hold on to your hats. I will be right back.
All right, folks. So the drinks have been changed. We're all ready. We're all set. Hopefully you are because we're almost halfway there as we get to the end of the first document, only 25 pages away. And first we have to address theory of harm 1B. What is that theory of harm? Well, that theory of harm is the same kind of thing we just talked about with respect to game consoles applied instead of to game consoles to Game Pass. The party's rivals and multi-game subscription services include providers that for a regular subscription payment offer access to a catalog of games. We know this, CMA. The CMA investigated whether the merged entity could harm Microsoft's rivals and lessen current and future competition in multi-game subscription services through strategies such as making ABK content available on the competitive subscription service, making ABK content available in a different way, timed exclusivity, content exclusivity, same things we were looking at before. By way of background, the CMA notes that the game content available in multi-game subscription services is currently more limited than the gaming content available on a buy-to-play basis. If a significantly expanded range of content were exclusive to Xbox Game Pass in the future, this could significantly impede the ability of other subscription services to compete. So this is perhaps the strongest way of looking at this. Again, it's very important that you set this as a separate market or else none of this works. Uh, but... If you imagine that something nascent, whether it's PlayStation Plus or another party's provision of subscription services, were to try to compete with something that had Call of Duty Day 1 and, uh, I don't know, Diablo 4 Day 1 and all these other things that are certainly in the Activision portfolio with the Xbox portfolio, Halo Day 1 and uh, Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6, whatever year that might come out, uh, then you could make the argument that it's very difficult for another gaming streaming service to compete. That's not unusual, though, if we think about things like TV services, right? Netflix had a major first party advantage, first mover advantage, and it had the content provided by other parties. Netflix saw that going away. People were going to other services. And while it's hard to start Disney Plus, it's hard to start Peacock, it's hard to start anything else that you might imagine, Paramount Plus, really any plus, it's not impossible. And Netflix has been facing lower and lower subscription numbers and lower stock market numbers, at least until I think it was yesterday uh, when they had a better quarter than uh, the market had assumed. Uh, and so I think it's fair to look at it and say, oh, it's going to be tough. It isn't necessarily fair to say it's going to be impossible. Uh, but I do give credit to at least the argument. Again, it's entirely dependent on treating subscription services different from the overall digital distribution mechanisms that we're used to in video games. Microsoft has stated, um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, uh, I, I got distracted there, a little bit behind on the stream. I thought, again, I wasn't showing the screen. <laughs> Microsoft has stated its intention to snip, which would be consistent with its prior course of conduct after acquiring certain gaming studios. The CMA has considered whether a significantly expanded range of content were exclusive to Game Pass in the future. This could significantly impede the ability of other subscription services to compete. As submitted by the parties, the multi-game subscription service market is still nascent with a range of competitors vying for market share. The CMA considers that given the presence of strong direct and indirect network effects in multi-game subscription services, there is a heightened risk that the merger could significantly increase Microsoft's market power or even tip the market in its favor before future rivals have a chance to develop. See, where other regulators generally look at a nascent technology market and say, oh, we don't even know what's going on there. We're not going to mess with it. The CMA says now is the time to mess with it. The CMA has assessed the ability of the merged entity to harm Microsoft's rivals and multi-game subscription services through a total or partial foreclosure, its incentive to do so, and the effect of such strategies on competition. The party submitted that Microsoft's share of supply in multi-game subscription services across all platforms in the UK was 50 to 60% with the share on console being 50 to 60 and the share on PC being 60 to 70 percent. 
The party submitted that ABK does not currently offer and has no current plans to offer a multi-game subscription service similar to Xbox Game Pass. And this is why market definition is so important, right? Because if this is a legitimate market, if buy-to-play is not an adequate substitute to subscription service game availability, then you can go out as the CMA or whatever regulator and say they have a 70% market share on PC. They have a 60% market share in consoles. This is definitive market power. But if you have to add back in the rest of gaming on consoles, buy-to-play, free-to-play, whatever else you might think of playing on a console, well, then this number comes way, 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 way down, as we saw from the earlier analysis that wasn't separated out into subscription services. The party submitted that it is possible that Microsoft may differentiate Xbox Game Pass by including ABK Games in its multi-game subscription service, while SNP other multi-game subscription services. I, foreclosing? Limiting? Purchasing? I don't know. According to the parties, this would not raise foreclosure concerns because Multi-game subscription services represent a nascent monetization strategy and will continue to coexist with other payment models, such as traditional buy-to-play and premium models. It's the same market, says Microsoft. By 2030, Microsoft anticipates that the value of multi-game subscription services will be SNPed, whereas transactional revenue will be around SNP. The parties also estimate that multi-game subscription services will account for SNP of total gaming revenue by 2025. So they got some projections that they gave to the CMA. Game Pass represents a small share of gaming distribution revenue and cannot be considered a strong incumbent in multi-game subscription services. Xbox Game Pass has grown gradually since its launch in 2017, and Xbox Game Pass monthly active users represented SNP percentage of Xbox's total users, primarily due to a shift of Xbox Live Gold subscribers. They, they made the Live go with the Xbox Game Pass, and that's what drove the 